Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with my friend, Handy Gregg. What's up, dude? Hey, Joe. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so stoked to have you on finally, man. Um, I, I mean, you're, you're a guest that I've been wanting to have on forever, and um, we've met in person, is it twice now at C2E2? Twice? That's right. That's right. You know, it's sad we can't have, it's been, gosh, almost probably more than a year and a half since we've had a C2E2, but yeah, we've been there twice together. <laughs> That's always a good time, dude. <laughs> it's the best. And I'm, and I'm telling you, like, it, it's been tough not having it. And it's who knows what's obviously they're doing in December. It's hard to believe that's going to work out. I just got the email today about, you know, the hotel reservations. Yeah. But the next C2E2 is going to be fucking nuts. It's going to be people are going to go crazy when we're able to get back together again. You know, I'm a little scared. Yeah. Yeah. It ought to be pretty wild. Um, and 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 having learned some some lessons about hanging out in a bar, maybe on that last one, maybe we'll have a different chill spot for or a different strategy for Saturday night. You know what's funny? When we went to we went to the same bar the first year there. I won't say the name of it, just you know, I mean, yeah. kiss anybody. And there definitely was a little bit of like an air of contempt for the con crowd from the from the staff there that that I that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. The problem was it was just such a perfect space for us. You know, like we we had our own room and everybody was together and it was just such a blast. Um, but there definitely was some contempt there. And then obviously uh, shit went a little bit south that last time. They weren't very nice to us. No, <laughs> no, that, that one bouncer was just a straight up fucking dick. He was a big, big bag of dick, yeah. you know? Yeah, some, some people are like that though. It's like they get just like a modicum of authority and they need to flex on people. It's the worst. Yeah. It's the tiny little bit of authority he has just while he's standing in front of that door. That's it. Other than that, he's totally powerless. It's like, that being in that space in that bar is like his infinity gauntlet. That's that's his gauntlet. <laughs> this is my space where I get to say what goes and you're going to listen to me. And it's like, oh, geez. ultimate Those power. Are, yeah, in that the space, worst people to it. put in power. Yeah, not a good thing. <laughs> like, I really believe that whole take that that uh, those who seek power are the ones that you should really probably keep an eye on. And, yeah. and kind of those who are like thrust into a position of power, but end up doing well with it. Those are the ones that that really shine. But it's like, how do you set up a scenario like that to happen? Because it's like by human nature, you know, those who are power hungry are going to seek power and they probably shouldn't have it once they they, you know, once they get there, they, they never wear it well. It's, it's almost like this idea and. A, little, a different take, but same idea, right? There, there are people who achieve levels of success in life that you can only achieve if you're a complete sociopath. Do you yes. know what I mean? No, that's absolutely true. Like, I mean, who? And I don't, I don't mean this disrespectfully. Who, who wakes up in the morning is like, fuck it, I'm going to be president. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, to actually, do, to actually do it. I mean, you got to be a little bit crazy. Like to, to be a CEO, to be, I mean, these guys are, and gals, they're, they're a little off. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have like a next level drive that I don't know. I, I, I can't relate to. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I still, I'm really I still, driven on certain things, but wow. I mean. Yeah. I still remember I had a high school English teacher. You know how, you know how high school English teachers were the ones that were always everybody's favorite because they just bared their souls to the kids in ways that the other teachers didn't oh, like yeah. you're, you're, 
your your geography teacher ain't talking to you about like shit that your English teacher's talking to you about, you know? You <laughs> just, you're you're, you're just... absolutely right, dude. My high school English teachers were the best. Always everybody's favorite, right? So I still remember my my high school English teacher. He wasn't he was like, All right, we're we're gonna watch the graduate which was st- still one of my favorite movies. Like you were talking to Paul about like how nobody actually likes Citizen Kane. And you're totally right. I remember watching <laughs> Citizen Kane and it was awkward because I was watching Citizen Kane. I was thinking of this when you and Paul were talking about it. Cause I watched Citizen Kane and I'm like, I thought this was great and brilliant. And I had no fucking idea what that movie was about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I really didn't know. It was, it's just like, I had to act like I liked the movie. Cause if I didn't, I'm like, a, you know, an idiot, but what were you talking about again? <laughs> Wait, what's the other what's, what, what, what let us I down the citizen kane tangent <laughs> okay let, let's track backwards hold on so with citizen kane and then there was another movie that i was oh the graduate the graduate right? your english so, teachers so, or your, your english yeah, teacher yeah, screen yeah, the yeah. graduate that's right <laughs> i to, to everyone who's listening I'm, I have not smoked any weed at all. <laughs> this is five minutes in, too. <laughs> this is five minutes in. I'm already fucking a mess. So anyway, so I remember my English teacher was, like, talking about how, you know, Dustin Hoffman's character in The Graduate was, like, this really smart dude. And because he's that smart, he's just a little fucked up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what was funny, and this is where there's nobody like a high school English teacher. There was my buddy, Ken, who was, like, the smartest kid in the class. And he points to Ken and he goes... You know, Ken, he's the smartest kid in the whole class. And everybody knows he's messed up. Like, that's the kind of thing you could say in the 90s and not get in trouble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you said that to a kid today, the teacher would be fired. But then you just called my called my boy out for being like socially not right. You know? Yeah. I mean, that is true. (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, sorry. I just had flashbacks to terrible experiences throughout school in the 90s. <laughs> this was like there a was TV a- montage ran through my head. I was like, oh, yeah, I got slammed up against a locker and got a finger poked in my chest really hard. Did you really? Oh. I, I, I remember. So I as you may pay have picked up from my podcast appearances, my whole life, I have struggled with severe ADHD Re- quite, quite bad. And, you know, my my youngest son has a good case of it. And when I was growing up, we didn't know, you know, you're you're you and I are about the same age. We just didn't know what we know today about it. So I was just I was always I always did well in school, but I was a pain in the fucking ass and I couldn't focus on anything. Right. Did your parents put you on Ritalin or anything like that? Hell, hell no. Nothing. nothing no way. Like they didn't know, like because my grades were good. So they just thought I was weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was constantly understimulated. That was the problem. Like the world just moved too slow for me. So fucking I was in my middle. I still get shit to this day. I was in my middle school uh, class and my teacher was like, everybody grab a compass they're in this box. The compasses are in this box. And like, I just wasn't present in the moment. So then she tells us the assignment and I immediately raised my hand and I'm like, where are the compasses? And she fucking went, <laughs> and she went fucking nuts. And she ran over. And as, as I recall, and I, this story has been reinforced, like she grabbed me by the ear and led me out of the classroom. Like that shit don't happen today. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just no way like that would never, ever happen. And Kids didn't get like, in fairness, they're probably like 
if, if, if boomers heard this conversation, they'd be like, we got straight up fucking punched and slapped. You know, they wouldn't give a shit about the stuff that we went through. But it's very, very different today. My my parents went to the same high school that uh, me and my sister both, uh, you know, eventually went to. Uh, they graduated in, I think, like, 76 and... would have been like 76 and 78 probably. And then I graduated yeah. in 99. My sister graduated in 2001. And so, you know, we would hear stories from them about, you know, what school was like and discipline and stuff. And they told me that there was this one teacher that was maybe a coach or something like that to where if one of the, like the, the male students was acting up, he would take them down to the wrestling room and throw them boxing gloves and put on <laughs> boxing gloves and like beat the shit out of them. That and sounds he, right. And he did that successfully until a dude in my dad's class kicked the shit out of him. <laughs> and, and then I guess that practice stopped because he got humbled. <laughs> yeah. Did Did you have the awkwardly attractive high school teacher? Uh, yes. Yes. I, I remember thinking, okay, so when I was a freshman, um, the sophomore or like the grade 10 English teacher... I don't remember her name anymore, but I remember the first time thinking her, seeing her and thinking to myself, oh my God, that's Wonder Woman. Like yep. she, she just like, she was like, almost had kind of like a Greek type complexion, long, dark hair, just like, she looked like a supermodel and it was like, oh my goodness. And then I think she moved on to something else like by the next year. So I never actually had her as a teacher. I just remember seeing her in the halls and always being like, wow. <laughs> like that I think that would have been distracting for for but you know I mean teenage boys being what they are but I had some of the best English teachers like I think back on that all the time and I'm so fortunate for both the the English teacher I did have in in 10th grade and then uh another English teacher I had that was for I think poetry and creative writing and just the 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 one English teacher, uh, Mrs. Whitehead, she gave us the best assignments to read, like all these really interesting short stories. Have you ever read like An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge? I have not. No. Oh, it's this really, really fantastic short story that takes place during the Civil War. And there's this guy that gets caught um, sabotaging a railroad bridge. And so they're going to hang him and they're hanging him right off the bridge. And as he drops the rope comes tight and then it breaks. And so he lands in the water and he's trying to swim away and all the soldiers are on the bridge shooting at him and he gets away and they're kind of chasing him through all the fields and everything. He has all these, you know, near misses with him, and he's getting to his house. And so spoiler for something that was written at the turn of the fucking century. <laughs> <laughs> he like sees his wife and, and, and his family, you know, at the end of this long row and he's like running after them. And right as he's about to embrace them, he all of a sudden clinches up. And it's the rope coming tight and his neck breaking. Get like, out As of he here. was dropping, it was uh, this whole fantasy of the rope breaking and him escaping and, and having this miraculous journey back to his loved ones all goes through his head in the span of him dropping. It's a crazy. fucking incredible yeah. short story. And when, when she showed it to us, it was a black and white film played on, you know, the old school real projector. And I just remember just being so so enraptured by that and just like, Oh my God, I think it was like the first twist ending I ever saw, you know, it blew my teenage mind. And oh, what was another great one? She had us read the lottery by Shirley Jackson. That's an, like, she had us read all this really dark shit and like, 
man, there was this other one where it was like a sci-fi story that took place on Venus where it would like rain for like six or seven years straight or something like that. And so all the kids there, they all were born on Venus. They had never, ever seen a sunny, sunshiny day. They've only ever heard like descriptions of it and stuff. But then there was this one kid in their class there was a little girl that was from Earth, and so she had seen sunny days, and she was, she was always telling them all, you know, no, it actually looks like this. You know, this is what your drawing should look like. And so the other kids got really like, fuck this little stuck-up motherfucker. And so as, like, the brief period of time happens where it's going to be sunny for, like, an hour or something like that, they lock her ass in the closet so she doesn't get to visit and or, you know, get to experience it with the rest of them. Just dark that's, stories like a, that, but, man. I was going to say, that's a, there's a deep meaning there. It's funny. I I couldn't help but think like if I was being hanged and the rope broke, I would be like, obviously I'm God. Like I would totally <laughs> see a meaning in it. Like you you know you know those people who are like every now and then they think like the Earth is a simulation, but they're the only one that's in the sim. Like you know like Truman Show kind of shit like that. Yeah. If my rope broke, I would straight up be like, all right, I'm sold. Like obviously there's like, and I would probably do all sorts of crazy shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's your Thanos moment. Right? Like, I am exactly. inevitable. Exactly. <laughs> I am inevitable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you were, you were talking we had, um, when I was in high school too, we had one unbelievably attractive teacher named Miss Powell and guess which subject she taught. Ah, uh, math. No, it was, of course it was English, right? Okay. It's always English. It's it's always. <laughs> I was it's trying always, to go a different direction. <laughs> no, it's it's always English because it's always got to be the super hot teacher that's talking to you about all these deep topics that you know. So, and I did not have Miss Powell, but I I you know obviously knew who she was, and you know like the kids I knew, I you know the school I went to was a pretty much an inner city school, very very diverse. Like I was one of twenty five hundred kids who uh, in in the school we graduated like six hundred something like that. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, and we used to walk in the hallway, and you know every word in the book you'd hear. I fuck this motherfucker shit, especially like the kids I played football with and shit. So pretty much you'd be walking down the hall and you'd be like fuck pussy motherfucking shit. Hello, Miss Pell. How are you today? Like there was that moment. <laughs> like everybody was a gentleman for like four seconds when they walked past Miss Pell, just because she was a smoke show. <laughs> I'm going to be the most impressive teenager she sees. Right, exactly. <laughs> hello, hello, Miss Pell. I hope you're having a marvelous day. <laughs> I'm just, I just flat out used her name because I'm sure she's gotten married since then. But plus, it's like it's like Miss Pal. Google that. Good luck googling that. Yeah. Music, you, know? you didn't mention a high school or even an area, though, so you're good. No, I didn't. I didn't mention where I where I went to high school. So she's good, dude. My high school experience was totally different. I had a hundred people in my graduating class. I, really? And I think that was at the beginning of the school year, and then with the dropouts throughout the school year, there was less than a hundred of us on graduation day. Yeah. So. So that like, and did you, when, after high school, did you stay around or did you go somewhere else? So, okay. So I went from in high school, it was, you know, the high school building was nine through 12. And when mm -hmm. I was a senior in between classes to classes, I didn't see anybody in the hallway whose name I couldn't like, I couldn't look at them for a moment and go, Oh yeah, that's so-and-so. Yeah. You know, freshman all the way through, I pretty much knew everybody by name. And so then the next year, this was... I graduated in 99, so this was before the dot-com bubble burst, and yep. 
I had taken some HTML class that I thought was pretty fun. And, you know, they, they go and ask a junior in high school, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Well, I'd taken that class. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I want to design websites. Oh, that's, See, a, that's, that's, that's a hot that's... career with a hundred percent job placement. Yeah, that's funny because when I was, I'm only a couple of years older than you. When I was in high school, if I was like, I'm going to learn HTML, they would have been like, way to waste your time, dick face. Like, you know, <laughs> that's a, that's a totally, in just a couple of years, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's all good. Like, I remember I was in either seventh or eighth grade b- before we had like a computer lab, like full of modern computers running Microsoft Windows. We used to play King's Quest in computer lab, and somehow that was okay. Like, they thought we got some educational value playing King's Quest. Yeah, I remember they had Myst on CD-ROM. Myst, yeah, I, I played Myst in college. I loved Myst. They had that, and the one thing I remember about that computer lab, though, it was like all the computers were kind of around in like a big horseshoe. And yep. it was just like, it was just the sound of endless clicking because every single station people were playing solitaire. You know, you know why the computers were in a horseshoe? Why is that? It's because if, if you're looking at titties, the, the teacher can see every screen at the ah, same time. Ah, that's a really, really good point. That's it. They're like, you know what? Screen six, those are titties. Get, <laughs> get this, gotta, we got to fix this. That's not okay. I guess if it was a dick and balls, that would be the same. It's like, oh, there's a dick and balls on screen seven right there. <laughs> Boom. I got flagged on that. I was I was in high school, and it was for government class, and I was doing a report on uh, the FBI. And so like not, you know, thinking it completely through, I'm just like, Oh, okay. Just www.fbi.com. And this was in Netscape, you know, with the dialogue. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember these things. Yep. Yep. Well, apparently back in those days, FBI.com was not federal Bureau of investigation. It was for no, it's like fucking idiots. <laughs> white. It's like whitehouse.com forever was a, was a porno site. Oh you know, gosh. it had like somebody dressed up like Monica Lewinsky. So my first job out of college was at this uh, like financial company. And uh, I, what, there's this financial rating agency called Morningstar. I legit was trying to look up, and this is like in the year 2000. So we could, there was no Google then. It was, you still had the internet. So I typed Morningstar into my web browser and somehow it was like moaningstars.com. <laughs> and this is back when you had like you were attacked by pop-ups. You know, like I don't think this really happens anymore because of pop-up blockers. But my boss was walking behind me right as and there was like the most like huge giant vaginas on my screen <laughs> everywhere. And every time I clicked it, like another pop-up of a giant vag or dick and balls would just come right up on my screen. I, it was one of the most stressful moments of my life. And I barely knew, like I was new to the working world. And I, I remember going to my boss and saying like, if, uh, if IT says anything, I accidentally looked at a, a site with adult material on it, but it was a mistake. <laughs> like, <because laughs> I figured, they, I figured they were like tracking my, they were tracking my activity. And I was like, all right, if I just admit what happened, they won't think I'm doing that on purpose. You know what I mean? So I just owned up to it. And thankfully, I didn't get fired. <laughs> you were looking at what? <laughs> well, there's always that. There's always like the the story about the one asshole in the office who was looking at porn. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's one of the few things that can get you fired immediately. It's like, <laughs> you know, there's old John. He's gone. He was looking at porn, you know. Oh, man. we We had this guy. We had this guy in the office for a while. And he was he was a kook, man. He he would have fit right into an office in like the 90s and nobody would have thought yeah. 
nobody would have even blinked at his humor. But dude, in in, in like 2020, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, 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 dude. Some of the shit that he would say. But I remember the funniest one was he sent, he sent one of my coworkers a screenshot and it was like a screenshot of like him typing something in to his, uh, like his browser on his phone. And so he was like, not realizing that his predictive text then was also in the picture. And it was oh. like Pornhub X hamster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like all three of the things showing were different porn sites. And I remember me and my buddy oh, both man. looked at each other and we're like, what the fuck is an X hamster? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you look it up. And he's like, you look it up. <laughs> well, you can get to like at a lot of workplaces. You can get to like your own Google Chrome. And if you can, like all your search history is in there. You know what I mean? And it makes me nerd. Like again, like having boys, I talked about this on, a podcast once how like their search history is in my Google too. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And sometimes you type one letter and a whole string comes up and you're like, what the fuck is this? Well, <laughs> you know, so it can really be, I mean, these kids have to evade. So for in our, in our day, the things that like, if you were lucky enough to have a fake ID, you had to be smart about that. If, if you, uh, like I smoked cigarettes, I had to hide my cigarettes and it's ridiculous. Cause obviously my parents know I smoked cigarettes. I smelled like a chimney. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But like they could, I could, they couldn't find my cigarettes, you know? So I would hide them. You know, if I was lucky enough to have a little weed, I would hide my weed, you know, but these kids today, it's like they're under in complete cyber surveillance at every turn. Yeah. Cause I got, yeah, I got everything. I got their PlayStation chats. I got, the, I can see their search history on Google. I can see their chats on Facebook. You know, it's, they just, there's no escaping it. I am like, the, I'm like the mousy dong of these kids lives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a lot of that stuff, that's good though, because you know, it's you totally know. Good. like yeah. the, the, the fact that, you know, as a kid, you can connect to the internet. I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize what a dangerous place it can be if you don't take a few simple precautions. And as a child, it's easy not to to know those things or or even understand why there are things that you have to watch out for. And they have no idea. Yeah, I remember. What was it? Um, I think he might have been around 10 at the time. He was watching some video and it was some asshole video where the guy was like, oh, go into your phone and go to this setting and this setting and this setting. And now watch what happens. And then they like they wait 10 seconds. They're like, ah, you totally fucked up your phone. And so he was freaking out. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, don't ever, ever, ever follow. Just blindly follow the instructions of somebody on the Internet. You know, just no. because you can't imagine ever putting something out in the world that would be purposely harmful to somebody else. It doesn't mean that everybody else in the world is going to be that benevolent. And so that that was his wake up call to people really do suck. And it's like they can, you know, they really can. Oh, absolutely. We Jill and my wife and I, we our mother in law lives in our backyard, like not in the yard. She doesn't live in it. It's like <laughs> we have we have our house and then the yard. And then she like we have like a, an apartment that she lives in. You know, we actually live in her house like we. We bought the house and my father in law passed away after we moved here. But long story short, I live with a. I, I'll get to the point. I live with a very old person, okay, <laughs> that lives on my property, like in the backyard. And she's she's 80. So we've, you know, we've lived next door for like 10, 11 years or something like that. And 
in the early days, I was constantly fucking helping her with computer problems because she honestly, like every trick in the book, she would fall for like, oh, this thing popped up and it said I needed antivirus. So I got it. And, you know, like she was getting suckered into every freaking email in the book. So it got to the point where just to fuck with her because I was so tired of dealing with it. I'd be like, Jackie, her name is Jackie. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have used her real name, but I did. Her name was Grace. I was like, Grace, you know, you can only get this virus if you downloaded really hardcore pornography. Like I told her that. And I'd be like, were you looking at the, were you looking at the porn? Cause you got to stop doing that. That's the only way this would have happened. <laughs> and she doesn't ask me to help with her computer anymore. And I don't know if it's because the virus has stopped or if she just thinks like I, I caught on to something, you know, <laughs> she does have a dark secret. <laughs> She might have a very dark, I don't know what kind of porn a really old person would look at, though, do you? I guess, you know, hey, people come in all different stripes, right? I mean, if I was, if I was really, if I was old, would I look at porn with other old people in it? Or would I look at porn with young people in it? I don't know. Wow. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't know. I guess it depends on what I was into, you know? Yeah, that's what like it. It has to just be for each individual person. Like, there and and who would have thought before the internet? I mean, definitely before the internet, everybody knew that there was you know depraved people out there who did weird, weird things as a kink. But who we were pretty that, sure. Yeah, who knew how broad and fucking weird it got? Like, well, the internet is where like the biggest weirdo in town can get together with all of the biggest weirdos from every other town in one place. Exactly. You know what I mean? So we all had that one guy who usually was like the one guy in a five block radius that he, if he was out of his house, we all went back in, you know, the one, the one kind of really creepy guy and just the internet, all those guys come together as a community to do weird shit. <laughs> Oh, my God. It seems like you can think up almost any act and type it in. And there's probably like a fucking subreddit for it. <laughs> like, it's it's fucked up, man. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Who am I to Every judge? now and then. Yeah. Every now and then when I'm drinking with some of my college friends, we come up with really bad business ideas or we talk about like websites that we think we should set up and then search to see if the website exists and pretty much all of them do <laughs> the the one that the one that stands out is one of us had the idea of a website where like after you take a shit if it's a particularly big shit you post a picture of it and you rate it and that site freaking exists that exact site where like you <laughs> if you if you that that precise idea like that somebody else thought of it. Like I take a picture of my bowel movement and put it up on a site and people can rate it and you get feedback on the size of your, like someone did that. Someone took no. time and did that. No, no. <laughs> no. We pretty much, the, the, the internet shows that like the human race has run out of ideas. We just collectively, we've totally run out of ideas. They're all up there. There's people who like have that site bookmarked. Somebody out there does. Oh, man. <laughs> Do, uh, have you ever heard of the podcast, Your Mom's House? No, I, I think I've heard of it, but I never listened to it. Man, they play really, really fucked up videos. 
from the internet and like they they have yeah. like sections where they have guests on and they'll call it horrible or hilarious and they'll play fucked up videos just to see how people react and like yeah. they, they were doing that way back when just playing videos and stuff before they were even really having people on just to show them to see how people would react and oh man that they got there trying to think of this one i think as as i was explaining your mom's house i think i might have lost the specific one i was going to talk about you you're stoned too obviously (laughs) no i'm the one with the forgetsies what the fuck (laughs) that ever happened to you at work where like you're in the middle of a diatribe and you completely forget what you were talking about and why and you're on a phone with all these people and you have to make up a reason why you said what you just said that has not happened to me yet at work yeah that that happens to me all the time yeah. <laughs> oh man, I did this one though where I was I was leading something where I was training like a whole group of people on something and part of it was I was like sharing my screen and running this process and for whatever reason the process was just taking like minutes to run. And I was like, yeah. I have nothing to talk about. And so real quick I pulled up YouTube and just started playing the Jeopardy theme and I got like a big laugh out of everybody and I was like, Oh thank God. <laughs> <laughs> like, Alex Trebek saved me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always in tra- if you train people long enough, really embarrassing things happen. Like I've I've trained people before when I got hit with a stomach flu right in the middle. This is taking a dark turn. I hope this isn't upsetting your listeners. That's fine. But yeah, but I, I had a, a, a radical stomach ailment once when I was training people and had to constantly run to the bathroom and back. And they obviously knew what was going on. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, I think people in that situation know. <laughs> okay, so I remembered the thing that I brought up your mom's house for. Okay, so we we're talking about <laughs> gross videos on the internet. They used to play videos all the time from this dude who called himself King Ass Ripper. And, like, he would, <laughs> he would like, just be in, like, tidy-whitey underwear and like, like rip these farts that would last for like 10 seconds and longer. And then he would like amp it up to where he would have like a, a plate full of food and he would like fart on the plate of food and then he would eat the whole thing. <laughs> where he would like take like an entire like thing of like chicken wings or something like that and dip every single one of them in mayo before eating it. And he would announce exactly how many Uh-oh. calories it was. <laughs> he'd That's be like, disgusting. He'd be like sausage McMuffins, 12 of them. 200 galleries a piece. You do them. You do the math. I'm going to fart on them. <laughs> and then he'd eat them. <laughs> what the, why? Why is this? And there would be hundreds of thousands of views on it. Well, those people who can fart on command, because my high school, my high school girlfriend could, but I only know this because her sister told me, but we never, the relationship never, it was really weird because the relationship never progressed to where like she was comfortable farting in front of me. Sure. But her sister used to, yeah, her sister used to always talk about how she could fart on command. But these people who can do this, they have a way of like sucking air in and then they fart it back out again. Oh yeah, I knew a kid like that from like elementary school days. Yeah, like I can't, I can't possibly fathom what it feels like to suck air into my into my ass. That's not something I've ever done. <laughs> no, that's really fucking weird dude speaking of sucking air into your ass i saw an article the other day that they can possibly start giving people like covid patients who can't be intubated they can start yeah. giving them oxygen through their ass instead that's actually if you, if you want to get more people vaccinated that's just make a poster of that you know with somebody <laughs> vented in their ass <laughs> 
Like, do you remember the the liquid oxygen from the movie The Abyss? Yes. It's more or less that, that they'd be like pumping that stuff up your ass. Like a, Is... an oxygen rich liquid that would then, you know, absorb in through the, the rectal lining. But here's what I'm struggling with. Why wouldn't they just why wouldn't they just intubate you? Like, why couldn't they do why, why do they have to go in the trouble of like pumping oxygen fluid up your ass? Why couldn't they just fucking vent you? Like, they, I, I just, why would they have to resort to this? Well, like being intubated is, you know, I mean, it's not good. They, they do it for extreme yeah. cases and, right. and kind of, you know, I'm not, I try to stay away from a lot of the COVID stuff. Like I just, sure. I, I accept what the experts on it, tell me to do they they're sure. like, they're like get vaccinated and i'm like done i, I got Pretty the much. pfizer vaccine that's done okay even if you're vaccinated you should probably still wear a mask in public i can do that you know why it's pretty fucking easy to just wear a mask plus i kind of like hiding it's nice well you're like me you have a beard and i'll tell you like it's first of all it is super easy it's it's having a beard it's slightly less easy so i don't want to hear it from anybody you yeah. know what i mean yeah, I just wear like the neck gaiter style where it just covers the whole thing. I don't have to worry about because, yeah, trying to wear like a surgical mask over my beard, that's not going to happen. Face diapers don't work well with, with guys with beards, you know? No. <laughs> Face diapers. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, – yeah, I, I, I just can't – I can't fathom why people put up such a fuss about the masks. It's so fucking weird. It's, it's, it's super weird. It really – it's pretty damn easy to do. You know what I mean? It's a shame. Unfortunately, I felt like a total asshole the other day. Cause I was going somewhere where I needed a mask and I didn't have one. So I knew they were giving free masks away at Walmart. So I walked into Walmart, like I was going to shop there. I took a mask and just left. Like I felt like I jacked them. <laughs> did I, did I steal Fuck them? Walmart? Like, is, is there an implication that if you take a mask from Walmart that you're going to shop there? Or do you think what I did was okay? no it was it was really really good <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, the new the new the new mask etiquette it would have been awesome if when i was when i was walking out of walmart with the mask the guy who gave it to me was like sir what the fuck you know <laughs> <laughs> he just totally called he just totally called me on it you know <laughs> you're gonna oh, take our fuck. fucking mask i can't believe buy, you've done you're this a pack of gum <laughs> <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> but seriously, fuck Walmart. <laughs> they, well, Walmart they, is they, like they all I have. It. Oh, they could totally afford it. Are you kidding me? I, I just don't. Walmart's like all I have. So unfortunately, I buy most of my shit there. Like, you know, I'd rather not, but I kind of have to. Like, yeah. what is it? Where, where else can you? It's like Walmart and Target or Amazon. It's pretty much all the places you can shop anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get a lot of stuff from Amazon, but it's, you know, it's. It's convenient. And, and and you know what? Say what you want about Jeff Bezos. He figured out something that's convenient. Um, one thing that I will say is that w whenever their delivery trucks show up on a Saturday or a Sunday, I always say to my wife, I'm like, you know what? I'd be just fine with prime delivery that doesn't include weekends. Yeah, well, I that, would too. That, that's fine. You, you don't need to make these people work on a weekend. It, it's cool enough that you're delivering me, you know, practically whatever I want for free. And you're bringing it right to my door. And then after you deliver it, you're going to snap a picture of it and email it to me. So it's like, yeah, I don't know, but they do it right. And, and yeah. you know, I read horror stories of drivers having to, you know, piss in bottles or shit in fucking delivery bags and stuff like that. And that's, 
you know, that stuff needs to obviously be straightened out. It, it's also that they can deliver me my third Marvel Legends Moon Knight figure because I because <laughs> I just because I just did I didn't have him in that one costume. So <laughs> this poor this poor guy's working on Saturday making thirteen dollars an hour because I just needed that one more Marvel Legends figure. You know. <laughs> so you've been bit by the collector bug. I bought. I collect. So I grew up collecting comics, like as you did, right? I collected comics from probably like 1980, 1985, 86. But in the mid 80s, I would buy comics from the newsstand. So no, I wasn't like a collector, right? I would buy them. They were in a pile in a closet. And when when the um, X-Men and X-Force came out, I started as more of like a collector where I went to a comic shop and I put them in bags and boards. And I collected seriously from 1990 until my son was born in 2010. Wow. When my son was born... Yeah, when my son was born in 2010, they raised the prices from 2.99 to 3.99. And at the level that I was collecting, just that price increase went from like 20 to like $35 a week and you know, that's a lot of fucking money. No, it, it gets <laughs> so, to be too much. Yeah, so I remember like, you know, it would it would like it's really that's like a lifelong habit and I also found that when the MCU movies came out, I was kind of able to enjoy the characters still, but in a very different way. So I went from collecting floppies in 2010 to like trades. And then eventually I did like Marvel Unlimited, which is kind of what I do now. And I just like pick and choose the things that I read now. Um, yeah. But I'm like you, I kind of listen. I listen to some of the podcasts and like if I hear about a good image series, I'll pick that up. And I probably like that stuff now more than superhero stuff, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I collected, I have a lot of comics, um, that I collected over the years and then baseball cards, Marvel legends. I bought, I was like, I want this one name of the Submariner. It was fucking Namor of all people. <laughs> I saw, I saw, I saw a Namor in fucking Walgreens that I bought and I'm like, I had Namor. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm like, I really like this cable shaker. Fuck it. I'm going to get cable. And then I'm like, well, I gotta have your X-Men to go with cable, you know? And <laughs> Then that turned into another thing. Uh, my wife hates that. And I also collect uh, <laughs> I also collect uh, home arcade machines, which really pisses my wife off. <laughs> I collect those um, arcade one-up machines, like those home versions of the arcade machines. So Fucking like talk the, the slightly smaller versions? Yeah. And what, what, you, what would happen was – like, you know, these are the things that you would see at like a Walmart, right? They're they're three quarter scale. I actually um Brian from Pop Culture Leftovers, I did I I believe I played a role in him getting his first one because I used to talk to him about these things fucking all the time. And he he ended up getting one in the past few months. Nice. Yeah, but um what I used to do is I would like these things because they take up so much space in a store, they would go on clearance all the time. So this dude set up a website where as soon as they went on clearance, you could see like every Walmart in 100 miles and how much they cost. Right. It was like hooked up to Brickseek and stuff like that. Nice. So I was snagging these things for like 50. Like I got Rampage for 50 bucks. You remember <laughs> Rampage? Like yeah. one of my favorite games. Um, and I got like um, uh, the Marvel superheroes for like 125. So apparently – because of COVID and everything else, like it, it costs so much money for these things to ship from China 
and they're controlling supply. So these machines, like they were retail at 299. I used to get them on sale like an animal. Now they're like 700 bucks. Crazy. Wow. So have you thought about I pretty much any like, of them that you got for super cheap? I've thought about it, but I haven't done it. I did. I did take this one cabinet that's like a multi-cade and I put custom decals on it. So it looks like the X-Men cabinet from 19, whatever, like 1995, the one with Dazzler and stuff like that. Oh, cool. But, yeah. I haven't sold any of them yet because I'm just like, what, you know, I, what would I use the money for to buy another one that probably is more expensive, you know? So I still have those. So to answer your question, I collect too much shit and it pisses my wife off a lot. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've tried to cut down on, on that sort of stuff. Like I had, uh, I didn't really get into buying like uh loose comic books until, Shit, I think it might have been like 2017. Before that, I, I oh, only yeah. ever bought trades. Um, yeah. And I think I got my first trade in in middle school, though. It, it was um, uh, The Crow. So after seeing that movie, yep. I was like, I have to read the source material that it's on. I have The Crow on my bookshelf right in front of me. That's <laughs> And I have the original trade that I bought in. Let me check. I bet it's the same trade that you have because it's now a major motion picture right on the cover. So this printing of the crow that's right here in my hand is a printing from May 1994. Nice. That would have been right. Or, yeah, that's probably the same one that I had then. Um, I don't yeah. know if I still have it or not. Um, I, I was telling you before we started recording in 2008, um, I had that 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 flood came through and my house got flooded. And I yeah. had so many books. Like I had like storage totes that were just full of books and i remember going into that room and seeing all the storage totes and all the lids still on them I'm like oh yes the water didn't get high enough to get them and lifting the lid off it and it just being to the brim with water and books just floating isn't that the worst oh, especially the comic worst books feeling. because the, the art gets ruined i i had um i had the complete frank miller daredevil get get screwed oh, up in the floor no. yeah yeah, and it was it was paper trade paperbacks, you know, but still, still like it's yeah, yeah, that's a tough loss. Yeah, I'm it, sorry. This to do was that. all you know. This was all novels and and you know the the collection of paperback trades that I'd had up to that point. Um, oh, the worst was I had one of those you know bookshelves that you'd get you know like the the, the three shelf bookshelf that you get at Walmart you know where it's yeah. linear particle board. And yeah, the particle board. Yeah, if those get wet, it's like a sponge. Right? Yes, and it and it fucking yeah. collapsed. And so all my Harry Potter first editions, all hardback. Uh, no, I guess the first four weren't, but you know all the others, all hardback. Uh, that shelf collapsed, and all those books went in. And then uh, there's a fantasy author that I really, really love. I have like a whole bunch of his first editions that I had to go to like used bookstores and shit to find. And luckily, when that shelf collapsed. Like the it landed kind of on top of the Harry Potter books that weren't completely submerged in water, only like half submerged, and so all my Raven E. Feist first editions were spared. Yeah, I was in. If dude, if I would have had an actual copy of Magician, like I would have been so heartbroken if that would have gotten wet. It's <laughs> been like, oh no, because I, like, I think Magician this and this was like twenty years ago when I was looking on eBay for him. I think they were around a thousand bucks for first editions of that. That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean. It's it's hard like for me, you know, 
like I have my bedroom where, with me and my wife. I can't put my comics in there, unfortunately. Like she's really cool about this shit. That's why I married her. But she's not cool enough that I can have a fucking long box in our bedroom. You know what I mean? <laughs> I have all mine tucked in the closet. <laughs> Do you really? Is it in your bedroom? Yeah. Yeah. I've actually got your like a box a fan on a stack of two short boxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, this so, is the perfect height. So when I, in my basement, when my father-in-law was still alive, because he was a contractor, he built shelves. And the shelves fit comics are the exact height of comics. And I have shelves and shelves of all my old comics, most of which are nice. in bags and boards. Yeah. So I I just was mostly mostly Marvel and Image and a little DC, a little Valiant and stuff like that that I did for most of the time. Yeah, I- anymore, I-, I pretty much only get things on digital now. Like, if I get, like, an actual physical book anymore, it's because I backed a Kickstarter. Yeah, it's funny. My comic, my original comic shop from when I grew up just closed about three years ago. Like, the, the comic shop in my town. And actually, uh, the the Marvel event, Civil War. See, now I'm, if, like, I'm people, I'm giving a lot of context clues. You know Civil War, the actual comic event, right? Yeah. Do you happen to know what town the tragedy takes place in? Do you happen to remember this? It's Stanford, Connecticut, ah. right? I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut. So in in one of the Amazing Spider-Man tie-in issues, uh, there you actually see in the background they drew my comic shop into the art. Ron, because Ron Garney lives in Connecticut, That's who was drawing awesome. Spider-Man at that point. So the story was called The Timeless Journey. And I still like like I'm fucking I'm 43 years old. I still have dreams about being in Timeless Journey now. It's weird. Like every now and then I'll have a dream where I'm in time. It's like, you know, that dream where you like you have a test and you didn't study all semester. Yes, (laughs) I, I, I do. I do have that one. But I also have the dream where like I'm in Timeless Journey and there's something I really want and it's 10 bucks and I just have five bucks and the store is closing in like five minutes. Like I have that dream too all the time. <laughs> Thankfully it's been a while since I had a school dream. Those are always really anxiety inducing. I have these weird versions of it where like the government is making me go back to school. Like, so I'm me now, like I'm 40 something year old me <laughs> and the government is forcing me to go back to high school for some reason. And I'm just in way over my head. And then every now and then in the dream, do you ever have that moment of awareness in a dream where you're like, this makes no sense. Why is this happening to me? Like that moment of clarity. Yeah. It always happens in that dream. And I'm like, motherfucker, I had this dream again. Like I'm mad at myself for having it. Like you realize in the dream that you're dreaming. Yeah. I'm like, son of a bitch. I got myself again with this shit. And then I wake (laughs) up, you know? See, I, I, I don't recognize that it's a dream, but I will like in the dream, I'll, you know, question why things are the way they are. Like, especially yeah. when I have dreams that I'm trying to run and it's like, you're on the moon, you know, it's like, it's like, you just don't run. Like you, you you're running, but you're not going run anywhere. fast. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's weird. It's, it, it's like, I need to get my brain to the point where it's like, okay, never, ever, ever in real waking conscious life have you had to run like this (laughs) it doesn't exist when this happens you're not in the real world so just start flying around like superman dude like see i actually fly in my dreams all the time do you fly i haven't had flying dreams since i was a kid and i used to have a recurring dream when i was a kid that i could fly 
I'm telling you what, and I'm, I'm being totally legit with you here. I take, I take anti-anxiety meds. As soon as I went on those fucking meds, I was flying in my dreams. I don't know what the fuck they put in those pills, <laughs> Whoa. but as soon as I took those pills, I would have a dream. And even like I've had versions of the school dream where like, I haven't, I didn't go to class and I have a test. Fuck it. I'm going to fly. And I'll just <laughs> like, wow. these pills gave me the power of flight in my dreams. It's weird. I fly all the time in my dreams ever since I started pilling up on these things. God, you, you know how the the reality in dreams, it seems so familiar, yet at the same time, it's so completely strange and alien when you think back on it, you know, yes. after you've woken up and you're like, well, wh why, why would my brain just go with it in that moment that, yes, this is reality? My most fanciful idea of this is that there really is a multiverse, and on some level, every single different version of you is connected on some level, some point in your brain understands that you're all different versions of the same, you know, cosmic being that is living out all these different experiences through this vast multiverse. And that in your dreams, those lines become a little bit blurred. And sometimes you're seeing things that happen to an alternate reality version of yourself. And that's why it totally makes sense. But at the same time is totally alien and does not make sense upon waking. Somebody told me once like a multiversal paradox and it's, I'm going to try to see, like you might be able to figure this out because you're smarter than me. And, but it's, here's, here's how it goes. If there are an infinite level, if there are an infinite number of alternate universes and that number is truly infinite, wouldn't there, because it's infinite, there would have to be one in which the version of you in that multiverse learned how to cross over into different, universes and would say hello to you right now uh, did i explain that did that make any sense i swear to god i'm still not smoking any weed yeah no it totally makes sense and in, in in fact it, it feels like it's very much in the same vein of when stephen hawking held a time traveler's party and he didn't advertise yeah. it until the following day and oh he, really yeah and he, he used that <laughs> I as didn't conclusive hear that proof that you know, hey, I, I, I did a lot of advertising on this that I had a party for, you know, time travelers yesterday and nobody showed up. <laughs> so there's no yeah. such thing as time travelers. Like, well, maybe, maybe they just didn't want to go to your party. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. Do we know that there will never be time travel because we've never met any time travelers? Because, you know, those fuckers wouldn't be able to keep it a secret. You know, there'd be some asshole that's like, I'm from the year 4000. You know, <laughs> like somebody somebody would fuck it up. There's no way that humanity could travel in time and keep it a secret. You know, no, you'd think not. And and also just with the nature of paradoxes, like, do you know what the grandfather paradox is? Yes. Yeah. So if you were to go back in time and and kill your grandfather, you would never be born. Thus, you would never right. have been able to travel back in time to kill your grandfather, so it couldn't have ever happened. And right, oh, it's like the, also the T two paradox. It's pretty much the same thing. Like, did John Connor send Kyle Reese back first, or did Kyle go back first to create John Con? You know that whole thing. <laughs> exactly. If, yeah. if if John Connor had consciously picked someone else, like he looks at Kyle Reese and you're like, yeah, that fucking guy who fucked my mom. That's exactly. Not sending you, you back look, there. You look a little like me. <laughs> I'm going to send Carol imagine from that accounting instead. To, imagine that conversation too. Like at what age was John Connor when his mom was like, listen, your dad came back in time and we had crazy sex. And then he was killed by a fucking robot, which is awkward enough. Well, how old is John Connor is, in T2? 
Well, he you're right. So he he's probably what like four, <laughs> Yeah, he's probably what like 14? Something like that. He's pretty young. So that's a great movie short of just that conversation where she's like I'm going to like you're going to meet your dad one day and you're going to have to send him back in time to bang me, you know? That's awkward. It's very awkward. <laughs> when you meet Kyle Reese, be respectful. He's your father. Right. He's not going right. to know this. Don't freak him out. <laughs> so just like, show him this my, picture you know, and, and he's going to be all about yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. Like this is, there's this picture that here's the other thing. There's some subtext here. When I got a little older, I would watch Terminator and he's talking about like this picture of her that he would keep, you know, he was whacking off to that picture in the trenches during that war. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, there's no way, like you don't go back in time to meet somebody and you're still not rubbing one out to that picture while there's fucking robots all over. Like, and that's another movie short just to see Kyle Reese kind of tugging one out, you know, <laughs> while robots are crunching skulls above them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Even the apocalypse dudes are still jerking off. Human nature. It's got to well, he, it's definitely. And look, the dude went back in time with just a picture, you know? Imagine if, like, he went back in time and just at that angle, she didn't look quite like she looked in the picture. He was like, nah, I don't know, you know? <laughs> He's close enough to smell the Aquanet. <laughs> yeah. These are, yeah. These are all the ways that really simple, beautiful story would have been ruined, I guess. <laughs> it's kind of fun to do those stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like in the in the future, the way we look at masturbation, it's so much more socially acceptable. So he's like, I looked, I thought about you every day when I was stroking my penis in the trenches. Like he just told her, you know, <laughs> she's like, oh, Kyle, in my time, we don't talk about that. <laughs> did you ever see the movie dead man on campus no oh no. my god it's a it's a movie from the 90s it is so funny um it's got um uh, zach from saved by the saved by the bell is one of the main characters and he plays like this pothead in it that's like a uh, like a entitled little rich kid and then his his roommate is uh like this um kid that likes you know studying really hard he's got a plan and he's taking all these advanced classes he's kind of the more the main character of the movie and then their other yeah. roommate and um god it was one of the dudes from how i met your mother the one that was also in forgetting sarah marshall oh yeah 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 um he wrote he wrote forgetting sarah marshall i think yeah, it's jason oh right? god his name Jason something. Yeah, his name is just not coming to me right now. <laughs> this is why whenever I do movie reviews on anybody else's podcast, I always have IMDb, like several tabs open in front of me with all the cast. Exactly. I'm so terrible at remembering actors' names and stuff like that. Um, anyway, he plays like a, a roommate of theirs, the, like the third roommate that went to like an all boys Catholic school. And so he's like super fucking pent up. And he's like so fucking horny that he's like gone, like Matt, he's like gone violent. <laughs> no, he's like <laughs> fucking Mark, Mark Paul Gosser. He's like, you've got, you're so horny. You've gone mean, <laughs> but they're having this party. And this girl is like across the room and the one roommate's looking and, and the, the one dude, the angry roommate comes up. He's like, Oh, that's so-and-so she's majoring in this. And she likes this and this. And he's like, well, how do you know that? And he's like, it's the Freshman Faces book. And so he's like, oh, and he's flipping through it. And he's like, yeah, I've been like just 
jacking off to that thing nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> he just like fucking drops it on the ground. Yeah, it's great. He's talking to the girl a little later and he like says something to her. She's like, Oh, did you memorize the freshman Facebook? He's like, No, my roommate, he was he was jacking to it. He was he was jackalacking. <laughs> It's a great it's movie. Jason it's it's yeah, I'm sure it has aged well because it's fucking I don't know. It's very funny in my memory. I'm sure it's still great. I haven't seen it. It's it's Jason Siegel though for sure. Yes, I just, yes, I, Jason Siegel. I had to Google it. Sadly, yeah. Yeah, he was really great, and I love you, man. Also, I really really liked that one. Did you ever watch that movie? Yes, I did. He was great in that <laughs> with Paul Rudd. <laughs> yeah, I I liked him a lot in How I Met Your Mother too. I mean, the show got a little soft prior to the last season. I think I thought the last season was solid enough. I, I actually thought the last episode was really strong myself. But um, yeah, I, I I loved him on that show. See, I think I watched like quite a bit of the first season of that, and then more or less just fell off it. Yeah, did you um, did you see the finale by any chance? No. No clue. I, I the, like I've heard so much about people just saying they were unhappy with the finale, but like I don't really know any of the details of it. Yeah. Like, would you ever watch it? Because I'll tell no. you, but it's like, it's no, like go ahead. Spoilers for how I met your brother. OK, <laughs> so <clears throat> spoilers. So it ends up that the kid's mother who it's it's interesting like those show intros they must they recorded all at once it ends up like years and when the show just started and they because the kids aged you know what i mean yeah but it ends up that she died so you find out in the last episode that this girl who he does ultimately meet who is the mother um they have this beautiful life together and then she passes away and it's interesting because there are callbacks to things that happen in earlier seasons and earlier episodes where you're like, Oh, it makes sense why this would have happened because she, she passed away. And after she passes, <clears throat> he, um, you know, he mourns her for a long time and then he goes and he create, you know, the show ends as he's rekindling his relationship with Robin, uh, Burnett, who had, who had married Barney and they had a very amicable divorce and Barney has a daughter and, you know, he doesn't womanize anymore because he has a daughter. So it, it's I think a lot of people were upset that she passed because it was very much a rip your heart out moment when ah. you when it when it clicks that she's going to die. Um, but I thought there were some really strong emotional beats in that last episode that really worked. And and there's no doubt the plan you know, once they realized they were getting past like season three, you know, that awkward sitcom phase where, you know, you're going to be in syndication. Yeah. It, it's clear that the plan was that she was going to she was going to pass that like because there were there are a million callbacks and things in different episodes that you look at like, oh, that makes sense. You know. So, yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. That's good. It, and it's probably just one of those phenomena of like people like to dogpile on if something's like you know supposedly bad like i don't know if you ever watched lost but that's got one of those I, yeah, finales I, that's you know pretty lauded i i like the lost finale i, I, I liked it I too thought, i i it yeah. made sense to me to me they answered enough questions for me to be more than satisfied and it's funny too like uh there were little moments in that finale so there's a moment where Jack is sitting in a car with Kate outside of a church, right? 
And they, Jack, you know, they're going to his father's funeral. I don't know if any of this rings a bell. Oh, yeah. No, dude, I was uh, yeah. like, obsessed. Like, uh, an episode would come out, and I would have it watched, like, I don't know, six to ten times before the next one came out. Yeah. The day my son was born, my wife and I, like, we had we ended up having a C-section. And, you know, she's like, well, can we do it early? Because Lost is on late. I'm not even kidding. And we watched Lost <laughs> that night. So, anyway... You know, and Kate looks at Jack and says, Jack, do you know where we are? And it's really neat rewatching the finale because it's clear that she she wasn't asking, do you know where we are? Like that we're at the like he looks at her and he's like, we're at my dad's funeral. And that's not why she was asking. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's like, do you know where we are? Like not here in this front of this church. Do you know where all of this shit is? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And. You know, and what drives me nuts is when people are like, well, they were dead and everyone knew the first season. I'm like, they weren't dead in the first season. Yeah, no, like, they weren't. Totally mis- That's totally not what it was. That's not at all what it was. Like, yes, they were dead in the last season during these scenes, right? Yeah, during the but, flash sideways scenes. Yeah, but it's how you get there that matters. And I, I loved just like the vision of the afterlife and what it was. I love the fact that Ben Linus was there and he couldn't move on because he there was stuff he had to reconcile. Yeah, he, he, did, he recognized you know? that he wasn't ready to move on yet, that he still had, he wasn't that he ready. had to pay penance for. Yeah, I, I thought it was really, really strong. And it just, you know, if you're looking for a show like that, especially from that era, I mean, Shows today are a little different because you can get away with, because of streaming, you can get away with running a show if you're lucky and being like, I have a three season vision and that's what it's going to be. In that time, you weren't fucking doing that. No. If the studio wanted 10 seasons, you're going to run 10 seasons. And I think, you know, Lost obviously was able to stretch some things. You had the writer strike that impacted one of those later seasons. Yeah. But, you know, you just can't tie it. Like Mr. Echo was definitely going to be more than what happened with Mr. Echo. Yeah, you know? I agree. And and that was one of those storylines too. the, where, where his was cut short. I thought that was a bummer. Um, I was so it was a bummer. With the mythology that they were building on the Island, that yeah. one of my biggest disappointments coming out of lost was that I just didn't get more answers about, you know, well, well who built this big statue? Like, who, yeah. Who built all these tunnels under the Island? Who, who built the, the temple? You know, like where where did all this stuff come from? It's like they had a bunch of really great ideas, but it was like ultimately none of those ideas really paid off. And that's the only thing that I that I'll ever criticize Lost for is that I feel like yeah, they, that... they threw a bunch of stuff and dangled a bunch of really interesting shit in front of you and then just left those threads completely hanging. Yeah, that it's funny. Who built the statue was one that I was because I love one of my favorite episodes was um, when we learned the origin of uh, uh the right hand man, the immortal guy that guy, forget his name. You know, the guy with the beautiful eyelashes who came, who came over on a slave ship. Do you know what I mean? Again, yeah. this show is like a 10 year old show. At I know. Point. And of course now I'm doing the same thing where I'm like, fuck, what was his name again? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> one no, of the best I, I know episodes. exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. And the whole, most of the episode is dubbed in Spanish, right? It just was incredible. But I was really always kind of interested in like, did Jacob build? I, I don't think they ever answered that question. Nor did, did they answer how old Jacob was? No, the it, the only thing we knew is that there was like the the keeper on the island before Jacob was a woman that yeah. she was like she found a pregnant woman in the jungle. That woman gave birth to twins, twin boys. She killed that lady and took the kids for herself. One of them grew up to be the man in black and the other grew up to be Jacob. 
And she Correct. Used but we don't power. know when that was. She yeah. used her power to say, you guys cannot harm <laughs> one another. And so no matter right. how much, you know, no matter how much the man in black wanted to kill Jacob, he couldn't do it because he like the magic of the island made it so that he could not. And then Jacob kind of found a way around that. Instead of killing him, he threw him down in that, you know, that hole that went down to like where the power of the island was. And I guess that turned him into the. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't yeah. spoil too much of this in case people get into it. But like, uh, like all of that stuff, it all just tickled my imagination so much. And like, like, what was the magic on the island? And and, and I guess ultimately, when you get to the end of the series, you can. And, and this is what I did back in the day, too. You just write it off and say. All of those details, while I found them fascinating and I wanted answers to them, ultimately, they didn't need to be answered to tell the story they were telling because the story they were telling was the journeys that all these different characters went, the development that they went through and and why things that happened to them in their, you know, different points of their lives led to them making the decisions that they ultimately make. And and that idea has always stuck with me as one of the most fascinating things in whether it be writing or television or movies is those character journeys and 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 seeing why people do things the way they do yeah the story almost becomes incident and it's funny like if you think of the walking dead which to be fair i have not watched in a couple of years it's <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of interesting characters against the backdrop of a zombie apocalypse and the fact that it's a zombie apocalypse is sort of incidental that's not to say that it's not important it's important, but the reason why those when The Walking Dead was firing on all cylinders, uh, which the comic did a lot longer than the TV show did, but when it was firing on all cylinders, it was the characters, you know. And again, it just they just happened to be in the zombie apocalypse, you know. Um, it's funny. How would you feel if they were to they were to do a new Lost series? Like, what would your reaction be? Would you be like, ah, shit, or would you be excited? If they were to reboot it, I'd say it's too soon. Yeah, it's funny. Like, if they were to reboot it, I wouldn't be happy. But if they were to be like, we're gonna do like, uh, we're gonna do like a a story that takes place on the island like 500 years in the past, I would be totally into that. Hundred percent on know? board. <laughs> greenlight yeah. that and get good writers on it and greenlight that shit. Yeah. Yes. Now Lost is ABC, which does not have a streaming service. Well, no, because ABC technically is Disney Plus, right? That would be their like there's no ABC streaming service, right? Yeah, as far as I know. I don't think so. Cause that's like the kind of property that you would use to launch a streaming service, wouldn't you? It'd be like, you know what, we're doing like the Lost prequel and it's on abc plus or whatever the fuck they decide to call it that would be the shit <laughs> that would be so Wouldn't it? fucking cool oh my god like, i'm, I'm really pure... really like now my imagination's going wild i love it pure curiosity i would totally have to subscribe to that you know and it would be one of those shows where i would stay up late praying that it's good you know oh, you know those yeah. shows where you're like oh god please you know i mean with lost my guess is 500 years wouldn't even work you'd probably have to go back farther yeah i was gonna you know? say you'd have to probably go back further than that, that and yeah. that's what i'm excited for with this game of thrones stuff coming out is this Me gonna too. take place way earlier i think that's the same thing that the amazon series is gonna do for lord of the rings it's it's lord of the rings takes place way you know before the the battle yeah, I'm excited for that. both of those things. I can't, I can't wait for either one. It's it's really it's really interesting when you have like the Lord of the Rings stuff. I get the impression that 
Jeff Bezos loves Lord of the Rings and was willing to spend whatever had to be spent to make more Lord of the Rings content. At least that's the impression that I got. Is that sort of what you heard? Yeah, that's that's the feeling is that if they're putting that much money into it, it's like, wow, somebody over there, probably Jeff Bezos, is really into Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's like, hey, he started off as a bookseller. Really... So, I mean. That's right. He did. See, that and, makes total didn't sense. Didn't he greenlight The Expanse because he wanted it to be finished? That's exactly what I heard was he just liked The Expanse. So he was like, fuck it. If they don't imagine that. Imagine if like there was a really huge fan of like alphas on the sci-fi network who was like, motherfuckers, I'm buying alphas, you know, just to finish the series. Yeah, I, I, that'd be the sort of shit that would be really cool to do if you had lots and lots and lots of money. Totally. It's Better like, than going to space, because at least no other kidding. people who watch the show can enjoy it. The whole going to space thing. I thought that that was so fucking dumb. And then, like, if any of them had the audacity to be like, oh, I'm an astronaut. It's like, no, you're not. You're a fucking tourist. Yeah. I mean, what did he do other than really sit in the rocket? I, look, I'm not saying look, I, I know going to space is hard and there are G forces. We've all been on roller coasters and things like that. But what what are you really doing other than sitting there? If you're Jeff, do you think he was did, was Jeff Bezos at the controls? Was he steering the fucking well, spaceship? No, you're you're just a tourist. You're just taking up space that could have been taken up by like another scientist or whatever. But I mean, I guess at the end of the day, ultimately, if if some if these space programs got like more funding as a result of this happening, and something happened that is going to like push the science of, of, of space and, and rocketry and, and going to space because that's where the future is. Yeah. And, and it, the, one of the biggest things that breaks my heart about humans being so fucking petty is that it's like, you guys spend so much time with your noses down in the mud worrying about, you know, who has the biggest piece of the pie when it's like, look at that's, that's infinity above your heads. There's countless fucking stars up there and there's planet systems around a lot of them. There's so much to explore and so much to see out there. You guys want to argue about the dumbest fucking shit to just try and, you know, like what one up each other and all that. It's like, no, uh, it just it really bums me out because it, it it seems like every human on the planet is is it's like they're capable of like great acts of empathy and great acts of love. But then within that same person, there's also the capability to just do horrible, selfish shit you know and like dehumanize other people it's it's so weird the dichotomy of humans and it's one of those things that when i trip out on it enough it, it makes me feel hopeless like i, I, don't, yeah. I don't know because you, you see like the stuff like what we were talking about earlier with the masks where it's like why wouldn't you just wear a mask why wouldn't you just wear a mask i i it, as much as as much as I, I I don't understand it i can kind of understand it a little bit the people who are like oh i'm hesitant to get the vaccine like uh okay but you know at this point if there's been so many million doses administered and there's still a very very small percentage of side effects or risks and stuff like that you know if you're able to get the thing just fucking get it or or just wear a mask it's not that difficult and it's going to help us all out as a whole but there's still so many people that are like fuck the whole that sounds really dirty (laughs) people are like you know no fuck that i'm i'm more focused on what's good for me for me, 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 wonderful, glorious me. And it's like, oh, that's it's so gross. And so when I think about that potential that exists in all these people, and then we also see it on display everywhere, it makes me feel hopeless. I don't know about you. I find that as I've aged, and maybe part of it is like having kids, 
I think it's a combination of aging and having kids. I've just become a more compassionate person. You, you know what I mean? Like, and maybe it's because, you know, like I'm in my forties now and I'm probably past the halfway point, you know? So you start feeling a little bit more accountable for your life and what you do. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's funny. I'm impacted by things that I normally wasn't impacted by, you know, like, uh, and I'm not saying I, I, you know, when I was, when I was really young, there would be tragedies and I would be like, Oh, that's interesting. But like, I'd never related to them. Like what, what I would feel like if those things happened to me, you know, I was, I was hearing stories today about people who lived in Queens in these first floor apartments and they're, you know, they're sleeping in their apartment at one in the morning. And the next thing I know, they got water up to their chest and they got like babies in their apartment, uh-huh. you know, and they, they can't open their door. They're stuck and then they eventually drown. And like it, it crushes my heart in a way that I, like 20 year old me would have been like, that's fucked up, you know. But now it just makes you sick to think about that. It's I don't know. I think it's a byproduct of aging and kind of understanding a little bit more how valuable the time that we have is and i feel the same way about you know like my kids aren't my kids aren't vaccinated because they can't be they're too young yeah i i if i get pissed off i have a very close relative who when uh when they talked about wearing masks again like posted an article on facebook and was like you know this is like bullshit we've done enough blah 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 fuck this shit and I actually never like I'm not this guy. I never get in fights with anybody on social media. I don't do it because it's I just think it's a waste of time. But I did I did write something. I'm like, you know, when this shit started, all of us social distanced, we wore masks, and we didn't do it to protect our kids. We did it to protect our seniors and our vulnerable populations. And now that everybody but our kids are vaccinated, it's time to protect our kids. Okay, you know, like I'm sorry, but it is like now we're protecting them because this Delta variant is more contagious. They're not vaccinated. I've seen what, unfortunately, I coach kids. You know, I I volunteer a lot in my town. I've seen kids who have COVID and it changes them. It's very sad. Like again, most of them no symptoms, but when it's bad, it's bad, and it's very upsetting to me that a lot of people sacrificed a lot of shit so that this wouldn't be way worse than it is. And trust me, it's really bad, but it could have been a lot worse if people didn't sacrifice proms. They sacrificed, uh, you know, college years. And for someone to bitch about not putting a little piece of cloth on their face while they're going to Piggly Wiggly really pisses me off. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I probably pissed off half your listeners who are hardcore anti-maskers, and I'm sorry about that. I, I'm sure I don't have. I mean, I'm I'm sure all things considered, I've I've probably got some conservatives and right-leaning people among my fan base, but I I, I make no bones in my opinions that that I I run pretty liberal on a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I don't like authoritarianism authoritarianism in any flavor, whether it's coming from I don't the either. right. Or if it's yeah. coming from the extreme left, because you, uh, you want to see the extreme left of 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 our society, get on fucking Twitter and start reading, reading through some of this shit that people go on and on about on there. And if you don't go, if you make a comment 
that is not exactly with the rank and file, you will get fucking destroyed. Both extremes are scary. Extremely. It's just the reality. Yeah. I mean, look at what you could say that, I guess, like Joseph Stalin was extreme left and that didn't work out so well, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's where yeah. whenever people talk about, well, you know, there, there's never been a successful socialism. It's like, and I don't know if there will be, because yeah. I think that most people, you know, if, if you give those people that are gunning for that power, if you give them that power, there's a, a really, really good chance that they're going to be corrupted. Um, you know, there's the, the old axiom that, you know, power, power corrupts. And Frank Herbert, the guy who wrote Dune, he's got a really great quote in there that's saying that power doesn't necessarily corrupt, but it attracts those who are corruptible. Right. And well, that's that's true. true. Like we were talking about, it takes a little bit of a sociopath to want to be that person sometimes, you know? Yeah, with, without a doubt. Man, fucking putting a sociopath in charge is always the most terrible idea. It's almost as terrible of idea of putting somebody in charge who's way too empathetic. It's like you can't have either extreme. I think extremes are bad. I l- let me amend that. Extremes are good when you need a specialist. Otherwise, extremes yeah, I, I think are that. pretty bad. Well, it's. I think what's tough is for people that do that kind of work. You have to make decisions that are always the lesser of all evils, you know. And if somebody has a hard time because of empathy making those decisions and can't make those decisions it's a bad thing you know i mean i think presidents make decisions about that like if we do this we're probably gonna have this many people die if we do this this many more will die you know oh yeah it's it's <laughs> and not, it's a and job that in a million fucking years i would never want yeah i i would never want anything to do with that either uh, though i'll tell you what the one reason why I would want to be president is just to find out if there were aliens. Like, I'd want to know that. <laughs> hey, have you seen all that footage, like with the Tic Tac thing and, and all that? Yeah, I have. I'll tell you what, we were we were almost touching on this earlier. Uh, the one thing uh, like I, I want in my life, other than, you know, things that are about my like, I want my kids to live great lives and be healthy and happy and all that stuff. Right. But set set aside like stuff like that. I really want before I die to know conclusively that there's life somewhere else in the universe. That's the one thing, like, you know, if I live to be 80, I got 37 years left. I just want to know conclusively that there's life somewhere else. That's my dream. That one thing. And it would be nice if it was intelligence, like intelligent life, but I'll totally take fucking bacteria. You know, <laughs> okay. I would say a hundred percent certainty. There's definitely at least bacterial life elsewhere in the, 100%. In the universe. I think it, it's it's safe to say when you consider that there's hundreds of billions of stars, and you know our star has nine planets around it. That right. you know, three of which are in the habitable zone. You know, granted, two of those are fucked. There's moons around Jupiter and Saturn that you could probably colonize. Um, my one friend, James, I've had on the podcast a few times. He was talking about how it'd be possible to put like a high altitude space station, like in the clouds in the upper atmosphere of Jupiter. How fucking insane mm. would that be, dude? Yeah. And and so it's like just in our solar system, there's so many different rocks and, and you know, even an atmosphere of a gas giant that you could live in. And so to look at all those pinpoints of light you know, in the heavens at night and to think this is the only planet where this shit it is makes happening. No sense. That's an it makes no sense. 
It makes no sense at all. What's really it's it's just imposing to think that the universe is so vast that despite the statistical odds suggesting that there is life elsewhere and that at times that life is intelligent, we've never, to our knowledge, seen anything unless we have. Right. You know, I mean, it's interesting. Like I was watching something recently and it makes total sense that when contact is made with us from another planet, it's not going to be life. It's going to be artificial life because it would make so much more sense that the way that we will make our presence known in the universe is not by sending people. It'll be by sending AI robots, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Like, a probe that, or a drone some kind of, some of sort. proxy, a, a, a proxy of some sort. Right. And so if we're contacted someday, it by that logic, it's not going to be little green men. It's going to be some fucking computer. Yeah. It's going to be some robot of some kind, like some, some thing that we find. And I just hope before I die, there's some conclusive proof somewhere, even if it's like we found this thing that conclusively we can say is artificially constructed and it's 800 billion light years away. But we know that's what it is that that I can die in peace if I hear that. Yeah. Have you heard the argument that, you know, if a society is scientifically advanced enough to actually, you know, um, you know, participate in interstellar travel and stuff like that, then chances are very good that they've evolved past warlike um, impulses. Otherwise, their society yeah. wouldn't have been able to grow to the point and advance to the point where they had science that was that advanced. Yeah, and also the, the other twist, which is anybody who could develop interstellar flight would have destroyed themselves long before getting there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah. also, like, it, it, honestly, if aliens wanted to take us out, there's so many different ways they could do it without even having to touch the surface of our planet themselves. They could just, yeah. they could just harness a large meteor, just grab something that's relatively close to the earth anyway, and just push it at us. It doesn't even have to be that yeah. big before it would be something that would completely wreck the, the atmosphere, put up enough dust in the atmosphere to where it'd be a winter for like several years straight. It would cause a catastrophic collapse of the food chain giant bottlenecks in populations just because a big yeah. rock fell from space. It's funny. I really am interested in UFO stuff and I've seen a bunch of the stuff on the Tic Tacs and whether that's really like Russian supersonic weapons and all that stuff. One of the things I think it was Neil Tyson once was talking about UFOs and he, he believes in that there's life elsewhere. You know, he's obviously pretty smart guy. But one of the questions he asked is, you know, all these UFO videos where you have like what looks like a spaceship with lights on it. What? Why would they put lights on their spaceships? Yeah. What's like, the what, point? What, what purpose would those? And it made me think I'm like, oh, fuck, he's right. Like that makes no like that alone makes me think that any UFO footage where the fucking UFO has blinking lights on it is probably not a UFO. Because there's really no reason to have blinking lights on your spaceship, you know, oh, especially absolutely. for you're trying to be you're trying to be discreet. It's like we're capable of interstellar travel, but we're going to put these blinky green lights on our ship just so that a fucking bird doesn't hit our ship. You know, <laughs> it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever, especially those things would be so energy efficient. There's no way they'd be leaking light energy like that. It just doesn't doesn't work. You know, have you ever seen a UFO? I have not. No. Have you? 
Dude, well, you live this, in Iowa. There's probably yeah. shit all the time. You have more, much clearer skies than I do. We, we have very, very clear skies here for the most part. Not, I, I looked into, like, I entertained the idea briefly of getting a telescope. And then yeah. the there's two things that really sealed the deal. My wife was like, fuck, what? And then also, <laughs> when I looked up the light pollution map, I was like, fuck, I'd have to drive a long ways to get, like, really good night sky. Yeah. You know, even though I am in, in Iowa, it's like I'm... I'm close to like, you know, one of the most populous cities in Iowa. And, sure. You know, so I mean, they, if it's like from, from where I'm at, if I look in a certain direction of the sky, like at night, it, it you can see the glow from, from that city. So yeah. Have you been to Hawaii by any chance? Have you ever no. been there? So when I've been to Hawaii for my honeymoon, I was lucky. And You've never seen the night sky in your life until you've seen the night sky in a remote island like that. Wow. It's it's totally different. It's as the sky is as black as black can be and the stars are as bright as bright can be because there's <laughs> so little light pollution because you're this tiny little island in this vast ocean. Uh the the sky looks totally different. It almost it's it just it looks like those beautiful photographs that you see with the filters, you yeah. know. Um, I actually yeah. got to see that last year. Um, last August, we had a, a a storm go through called a derecho. Oh I, yeah, derecho. Yeah, which yeah, windstorm, right? Before. Yeah, it's basically yeah. like a hurricane that's on land. Yeah, and yeah, so we had that roll through, and it it fucked up our area really good, and we went for six days without power, mm. and so if you went outside. Or would we go outside on those nights and it was clear? You could see that splash of the Milky Way across the middle of the sky. Oh man, it was, how beautiful! It was the first and only time in my life I've ever seen it. Was was during that, and I remember I would just go out and just stand on the sidewalk in my backyard and just stare at it and just be like, "That is so amazing." You ever catch a meteor shower? Yeah, yeah, I love those. Yeah, I remember one particular in college that I saw. That's a great, a great time to see a meteor shower when you're 20 years old, you know. <laughs> oh, that's when I saw the UFOs. So, so um, this was I was going to school in college at the time. So this was the early early 2000s. So this would have been like summer of '99, summer of 2000, somewhere in that range. And at the time, I was uh, my friends. So what, basically all we did for fun was we'd drive around and listen to music and just smoke pot on like gravel roads. <laughs> and it was, you know, that was what you did for the night. You'd put like a hundred miles on your car at night, just, you know, cruise around on gravel roads and smoking and, and mostly staying out of town because you didn't want to get fucking picked up by some, you know, sheriff's deputy or something. And, yeah. Um, but there was this place that we'd always hang out and... You know, the, the saying, you know, a country mile, <laughs> well, mm -hmm. they, they, the blocks on these County roads are really, really, really long. And so there was this one that we would park at right smack dab in the middle because yeah. it was long enough from either intersection and straight enough to where you'd see the headlights in the distance and you had enough time to jump in your car and get going. And, right. you know, it was, so it, it felt like a pretty safe place to hang out. And there was an old corn crib right alongside the road. Do you know what corn crib is? I vaguely, but what is it? So, um, like everybody knows what a silo is. So it's basically yeah. like a short stubby silo. 
oh, okay, that makes sense. That's what that's I thought it was something like a storage, you know. Yeah. And this was like a really old one. So it was like brick on the sides and it was like pretty run down looking. And I remember one night there was a whole bunch of us. My my buddy in high school that that I would go run around with a lot. One of them, he had God, what was it like a 76 or 78 Royal Monaco? And the thing was fucking huge, man. Like it was like you sat in the back seat of this thing and it was like literally like sitting on a couch. You would have right. your back against the 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 ba- the seat and you couldn't touch the the seats of the front seat in front. That's of you. what cars were back then. They were really about comfort in a very different way than cars today. Are. Yes, it fucking ashtrays everywhere in the thing. Yeah, <laughs> like the carpet was... the carpet was carpet. Yes, car, yeah, right? it was legit it was carpet. Yeah, thick carpet. Yeah, <laughs> it was such a comfy car. The only thing that sucked was it got the worst gas mileage out of all of us, and so oh, like, he wouldn't be the one that would drive so often. Uh, I had yeah. an '83 Mustang at the time with a V6, and so I got oh, that would have been a sweet car, it right? Was it was fun for a high schooler. It, it it had no power, which in retrospect is it's, it's I'm probably still alive because that thing didn't have a 5.0 V8 in it. Yeah, I bet <laughs> that would have been a quite that would have had a lot of kick. Oh, you, dude, you know? yeah, it was, yeah, and being that it had a 3.8 liter V6 and a posi traction rear end, so I mean, unless there was a little bit of sand down on the pavement, like you couldn't even squeal the tires in it. Yeah, you know, it was. It was not a fast car, but it was a very cool looking car. Yeah, it was going to still a really cool one to drive. Yeah. And so it got about the best gas mileage out of me and all my friends. And mm-hmm. so I'd end up driving quite a bit. And all, back then, in those days, all my money went to like having loud subwoofers and a really nice stereo system in my car anyway. But oh, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm tangenting now. Anyway, so we're hanging out, and I remember where my buddy Nick was driving, and we're sitting there, and his car is just loaded. And so there's probably like, you know, six or seven of us in there, and we're sitting, and somebody in the car asked him, because we'd always say, hey, let's go to the bin road. And, you know, because we'd go and park by that that corn crib. Yeah. And, um, and we were out there, and we were talking about, somebody asked about that corn crib, and I was like, and I just started going. And like, I've always been like a very creative storyteller. And so I just start like making up this horror story on the spot about, oh yeah, this this crib, this corn crib here. They actually don't store corn crib in it anymore. You know, several years ago, um, there was some vagrants that were kind of spotted, like really shady looking people out here. And so then when they went and, and looked inside there, there was like scratch marks and blood all over the wall. Right, and exactly. And like, I'm getting into yeah, this. Yeah, little fragments of fingernail. Yeah, and like, yeah. I'm really, really getting into it and really selling it. And I'm just trying to freak out the girl in the back seat that asked the question. And out of nowhere, my buddy Nick just starts his car, <laughs> throws it into drive and just fucking hammers on it. And I'm looking at him with my <laughs> mouth wide and he goes, he goes, there's no people. There's no lines. <laughs> I got in his head big time. And, but anyway, so we'd always go and hang out at this bin and we called it the bin road. And um, we were there one night and we were outside the car. And so we were just like leaning on the car and we were looking at the stars and we noticed that there was these lights where it was, it would be in the sky, in the sky, and you could see it moving across the sky, kind of like you would see like a satellite at space station or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But then sure. it's, it would stop, which satellites and space station doesn't do. They don't just stop and stay in one place. And then we'd see another right. point of light about the same size come towards it, like mm-hmm. they were going towards each other, and then they both stopped. And then yeah. they would do these little zigzags where, like, let's say each one of them, like if you're looking at it like a clock, they're at like nine and three, right? And then sure. all of a sudden, before you knew it, 
boom, they were at 12 and six. Yeah, and, what and then they were back about? at nine and like, three again, and they were just like zoo zoo, and it was like so fast, like your eye couldn't track the movement. And we're talking summer, early early two thousand. Yeah, maybe? this was Late like nineties. Nine. It was either the summer of ninety nine or the summer of two thousand. See, like if I heard that today, I'd say like it sounds may, maybe explainable by a drone, but obviously there were no drones at that time. No, you know and, what I mean. And, and, we're like, okay, well, what can go and just hover like that? It's not a helicopter. Not a helicopter because you'd hear it, You'd hear right? the rotors. And, and also it was up so high. And it's like, well, helicopters don't fly that high. And they also uh, helicopters can't, don't they get can't to like stop 25, and then suddenly feet. just zip. And like when you're seeing a point of light in the sky and it's that high up and it zips that distance, it just moved an incredible distance. And it did it really yeah. fast. And they did it right. like as a synchronized motion. They would both move at the same time. And it was like they were zipping or zigzagging back and forth. It was really weird. And so we'd just see like isolated instances of that. And it was like, it got to the point where it'd be like, hey, let's go out to the bin road and see if we can see UFOs again tonight. And then yeah. one night, me and Nick, this was that same friend of mine that, that had the, the Monaco. We were out at mm -hmm. my mom and dad's cabin and it's it's along this river. And he, he, has a, he had a little Toyota truck at the time also. And so we were parked in his truck and we were just sitting and looking out the river and smoking a bowl. And we get out of the truck because we're like, are those those lights back? And so first we just see one coming from downriver and another coming from upriver. And then all of a sudden each of them's joined by three more. So now there's like four of them and they're all doing that zipping thing, right? And we've never seen yeah. we've never seen this many of them in the sky at once. Same what? place. So the, it's in the same place. This was a little uh, we were probably about 20 to 30 miles away from the bin road. At this point, but still, if you're thinking of looking up at the sky, yeah, you're more or less the, miles the same way, place, it's pretty much, yeah. But here's where it gets really weird. So they're all like that, and then from like dead west of us, so that this came up like over the trees across from the river, it was four points of light all in a row, all way bigger than all the smaller lights we saw. And it came up and it was in the sky in between in the middle of all these so there was four to the left of it four to the right of it and then they all stopped doing the zigzag thing and they all just hovered there for a while and then the big thing with the four lights went back the way it came and dipped you know into the horizon beyond the trees across the river and then all the other ones scattered in every direction and just like that and they were gone what the hell yeah and i remember me and nick looked at each other and we're like we're getting the fuck out of here right now and we jumped in his truck and we took off and then after that <laughs> summer we never saw him again and and we I remember talking about we'd be like, dude, have you seen the UFOs? You don't think or it, I mean, it couldn't have been any like military testing. It couldn't have been any military testing or something like that, could it? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. What I, you I don't know, know. I, it doesn't sound like anything we have today. My dad was out mowing out there one time at the cabin, and he said he saw some fighter jets come up the river, and they were flying really, really low. And he said that that was pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. But he also said it was so loud that he heard the roar of it coming over the mower. Oh, wow. You know, and when we saw all this going on, we never heard any noise anywhere, anytime. Everything was silent. And so that's, that's, I mean, it was definitely UFOs of some sort. It was unidentified flying objects or, you know, sure. unidentified aerial phenomena, whatever they call it now. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I can't explain it, but I, I saw it and I saw it more than once. That's fucking crazy. My, I have an uncle who's, I have an uncle who's seen UFOs and it's, you know, it's what you would think. It's same thing, lights in the sky, stuff like that. But um, who knows? Who knows what the hell that was?
did you did, were there any other reports of people seeing it hmm. i don't know about that i i remember my mom and dad said that they saw something like and it was after high school where they were driving back from from one town to our to our smaller town and there was some light that paralleled them in the sky the entire drive and that mom said when they got back maybe, to their apartment, maybe she was like looking were... out the kitchen window and she said she could still see it hanging out in the sky maybe that's when you were conceived you're like star man you're like star joe <laughs> <laughs> Your parents blinked for a few minutes, and then the next day she was pregnant with you. <laughs> I'm a Star Lord. That'd be funny. <laughs> I'm like in the What If episode where he got left behind. And he's working at Dairy Queen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you see this week's? Oh yeah, with the dark Doctor Strange one. Yeah, that it was, was my good. favorite one so far because. It, it felt it felt like it was the most like the comic and so many issues of what if ended with and everyone does, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, this this one little change led to the end of the universe was so often. And this was the first episode that kind of spoilers things, things spiral out of control in a really negative way. You know, um, it was my favorite one so far. Yeah, I would say. Probably my second favorite one so far. The the T'Challa Star Star Lord one's still my favorite. It was it was just really moving because of obviously what happened with um, Chadwick Boseman, you know. Yeah. Well, and also just seeing that version of the character was so much fun. That you know, oh, yeah. If he, if he had gone into space and he never actually gotten the mantle of Black Panther, you know, like his, his nobility still shines through. And he's able to bring these people around to his side and it really, really fascinating idea. And it was just so much fun too. You just talked Thanos out of genocide. <laughs> the he way did, that Thanos did, kept bringing it up in conversation with everybody was so fun. Like, here's this crazy batshit idea that I used to have that and people break my balls because of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's standing by it. He's like, it's still a good idea. <laughs> right. It's like, it's not, well, it's almost like he's like, look, I understand that this is extreme, but it's not too crazy, right? You know. <laughs> yeah, the show, it's been what I would call like a little hit and miss for me. I don't I don't like uh, look forward to it in the same way that I looked forward to the other stuff. But I'm very glad that we have it. I, I love that we have this show um, and I'm looking forward to more. And, you know, my hope is I've actually enjoyed the last couple of weeks. Uh, my hope is that it continues to hit its stride. I agree. And I think it will. I mean, because it sounds like, you know, they're they're going a step beyond what they what they were in the comics, because in the comics it was um, and like so far I've been working my way through that collection. I bought the first two volumes that mm -hmm. um, so it starts off with the, the very first issue is what if uh, Peter Parker had, or what if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four? Exactly. So they have the five, it's like it's a five on his chest instead of the spider, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. Like, and so I've been slowly working my way through these issues, but so far it seems like all the what ifs were were just that. They were just a what if self-contained thing. It really doesn't bleed over into the main continuity. Exactly. It sounds like a lot of they these just... episodes, it is going to be bleeding over into the main continuity. Yeah, and you know, there, there's um. We talked about this on Pop Culture Leftovers a couple of weeks ago that 
some of these characters might come together at some point that we're seeing episode to episode to face a threat. So it is, it does look like it's very different. Yeah, it's going to be How really far did you get to, um, did you happen to read yet? So I'm going to get up right now because I'm where my old comics are and I have a nice. bunch of what ifs that are at the front. Do you happen to get to what if Wolverine killed the Incredible Hulk? This is what if number, I'm holding it in my hand right now. This is a beat up ass comic. This is what if number 31. Oh shit. I don't think I would have had up into the thirties. Yeah. Cause I think five. I have probably the first 24 issues. Yeah. This is a thicker issue. And then I've got another one right under it. Oh man. I'm so glad this is at the top of my stack. So this is before I started collecting comics. And this is one that like, I just beat the shit and then probably just threw in a bag at some point to collect it. <laughs> yeah. So this is what if Wolverine battled Conan the Barbarian? Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's funny. I'm like, oh, man, the staples coming out of this thing, you know? <laughs> so I remember this issue. And like in some for some reason, Wolverine goes back in time and um, he ends up fighting Conan. And he has like this very intense romance with Red Sonia. That's the only thing I remember. Wow. I'm kind of flipping through right now. And nothing jumps. Uh, yeah. Well, look, actually, by the end, somehow Conan is at the Dark Phoenix saga. I guess they switch places somehow. Huh. I'll have to give this a full I'll give this a full read through at some point. But uh, this was one of my favorites, obviously. Like you could tell those old comics that you read so many times, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't care about the condition of them. I have some, obviously, that I kept in really good shape. But this one, this one, I keep in a bag just so I can read it again someday. I remember I did have two, two loose comics from when I was growing up, but I don't even know where they came from. I I had an old issue of Iron Man and an old issue of Punisher War Journal. Oh yeah. I have no idea where they where they even came from, but I remember loving the artwork and and in that Iron Man one, the concepts of it was it was and also of course that the main character's last name was Stark. I thought that that was pretty cool when I was a kid. I never that never clicked to me, but that must have been really a thrill as a kid that you had a character named stark you know well especially when you know all the playground insults were you know stark naked and it's like yeah thank you that's that's very original i'm sure you're gonna call I never me four heard... eyes or joe mama next you fuck i never heard of that i i never would have <laughs> thought kids I, kids come up with all sorts of awful shit anyway oh know? yeah <laughs> i remember you want you... when, when me and Lindsay were going through names for you know, when, when she was pregnant and we were going through names for the kids, I was like, we have to look at these things as how they will get taunted on the playground. I I went through the same. Th I still go through that with my kids. So the one really fucking painful memory that I have, do you, you remember the Reebok pump, the sneaker? Oh, yeah. So L.A. Gear made a version of the Reebok, Reebok pump called the Regulator. The L.A. Gear Regulator, right? Mm -hmm. And it was totally a ripoff of the Reebok pump. Uh, it was a white shoe with this, like, neon orange, and it had a pump and everything. Uh -huh. So I wanted the Reebok pump so bad, right? But, you know, at that time, those were, like, $100 sneakers, which oh, yeah. today, in today's, in today's money, I can't even guess how much that would be. Like, this is probably 1990, so probably, like, $300 sneakers today, something like that. Just yeah. insane for for a kid to ask for that. 
So of course my parents were like, you can go straight up fuck yourself. You know, <laughs> they pretty much, they pretty much said it in those words. They were like, that's the way my eat. parents were about getting me name brand stuff too. <laughs> well, I like, I remember like that phase where kids were wearing like guest jeans and stuff. And they were like, you can straight up suck a dick. Cause you're not getting those jeans, remember you know, the starter jacket pullovers. Yeah. I, I got one starter jacket and that was like, uh, I got it for Christmas one year. It was the only gift that I got. You know what I mean? But by the time I got it, the phase was kind of over. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I remember going into fucking Foot Locker. Remember? And where they like the guys who worked there were dressed as referees for <laughs> some <right>. reason. <laughs> Those stupid motherfuckers. So this guy comes up to me dressed like a referee with a fucking whistle around. He's selling sneakers. I was just going to say, didn't they have fucking whistles also? <laughs> yeah. He's a whistle like an asshole. And, you know, like I was like, I was wanting the, and he's like, listen, you know, the Reebok pump is really expensive, but he brings me and my mom over. He's like, this is the LA gear regulator. Right. And he shows me and he's telling my mom, it was like half the price of the pump. It's like a $50 sneaker. Right. Uh -huh. Which is still kind of expensive, but at the, like not crazy at that time. Right. Yeah. So of course, of course I get the LA gear regulator and I wear them to school and I start showing them off and everybody immediately makes fun of me. So for like, for like a year and a half, everybody called me L.A. Greg because I wore these L.A. gear. <laughs> I was like the only kid, the only kid who wore L.A. gear at all, let alone had the L.A. gear regulator. Like and I thought I was like just like the pump, but it's like half the price. And then kids would break my balls over not being able to get the real Reebok pump. You know, these little motherfuckers. What's wrong with them? Oh, yeah, dude. I remember it was right around the time that those pump shoes came out. And I remember for whatever reason, I didn't have new shoes like the day school started. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, like, you know, you usually that'd be part of your going back to school stuff. You know, you get your new shoes and stuff. And for whatever reason, either I had the new shoes and I didn't wear them or just hadn't gotten to me. I don't, it's, it's lost to time, but I do remember walking up to wait in line for the bus and two of like the like the more spoiled rich kids that you know kind of fucking had everything and them standing there and commenting on every person that walked up whether they were wearing new shoes or not and i remember them commenting kind on of how, oh yeah commenting on how i wasn't wearing shoes and this was during that time where you know it was a small town and so like if like all the kids that were our age wasn't that big of a group you know i mean it was less than 100 kids for the small town i went to and then our school district yeah. ended up consolidating with the next small town over and then together we had enough to where that was 100 kids in my graduating class so it's like you know all these kids knew each other and we'd known each other for years and years and then it was that awkward age where you start going through middle school and and kids start changing and becoming far more clicky and all that and that's you know that's when i started like really withdrawing back from being like, I don't want to be friends with these people. I don't, yeah. I don't want to go and join the sports team and, and have to be fucking teammates with these people. And like, ugh. I, I well, think that was where my descent into counterculture started. Was Stand that by day. me. They say you, you never have friends like you did when you're 12. It's been for, they chose the age 12 for a reason, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Th stuff, that is true because yeah, that's before it starts changing. Yeah. 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 It's, um, and it's funny, like just seeing kids go through, I can't help but watch as my kids are starting to get towards that age and wonder, you know, how, how stuff's going to change for them too. But all you can do is kind of hope for the best, right? <laughs>
My oldest kid, it was like he got into school and I, it's like he took a look at all the other kids and he was just like, it's cool. I'm, I'm friendly with all of you and stuff, but I really no interest in hanging out with any of you. And like it was something yeah. that teachers would always say and be like, he's always seems to be doing his own thing, but he's happy about it. And like it more like the things he would complain about when he would come home from school would be, well, I got really upset because I got punished along with everybody else because all the other kids can't listen to instructions and they'd rather be chitty chatty. And so then as a group, we all get punished. And he's like, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to instructions. It's not hard to do. And I'm punished along yeah. with all the rest of them. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's how it goes, man. That's, that's why we tell you people suck. We're not saying that to put a sour taste in your mouth. We're saying it so you have realistic expectations when you go into the world. That you're going to you know, encounter you people who are fucking self-centered. You know, you mentioned that, you know, when you're when you were growing up and you were in school, I think you mentioned you were one of what, like 100 kids. It was pretty small, right? Yeah. That's kind of like my wife when she went to school. And one of the one of the benefits of going to a bigger school is you could kind of like I, there are still people I went to high school with and, you know, they have like those reunions that I don't go, I haven't been to a reunion, but on Facebook, I'll see them. And there are people like I never even met or knew in any way that were in my high school class. Cause with 500 kids, you can only really know even a hundred of them, exactly. you know, you're, you're not going to have any clue who some of these kids are. And then you'll grow up and be like, wait, we graduated together. You know, you didn't even know. So to be, you could escape, like if, if there was a bad friend situation, it was just a little easier to make new friends. It wasn't like you were stuck with these same group of kids forever. And to be really well known by everybody, something really messed up would have had to have happened. So I'll give you, I'll give you one example. And this is super messed up, but I'll share it. So there was this, uh, this, this guy and this girl who were dating and everybody knew they were dating. And I guess I'm going to kind of lower my voice a little bit. I guess they decided to experiment with uh, anal sex at one point, you know, like, and, and you know how these stories like get around. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, and then like inevitably somebody. So when they were experimenting with this act, uh, he pulled out a peanut, right? Like a peanut got. So this girl was called peanut for the rest of her high school career. Oh, no, that's so and it's funny because like today I'm like, I don't. Like I think I think of this and I'm like, you know, this is like a terrible thing that happened. You know what I mean? Like that's where like getting older and having some compassion. I feel really bad. <laughs> but that's even in a class of like 500 kids. It was like, oh, there's Peanut. You know what I mean? <laughs> and everybody knew why. Nobody called him Peanut. Like that would have been probably more fair. Just as fair. Like, he's the one who found it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That is it is funny because, like, you know, those stories like that would fucking float around back then. And if it was a fucking small school, like, that's 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 gonna go to like even different different grades. Like other people yeah, are gonna I mean, fucking hear about that. I'll tell you, I knew Peanut, but I never met Peanut. Like, I never, I never had a conversation with Peanut, but I was always like, "That's Peanut." Like, I knew, th I knew this unbelievably personal information about Peanut. But had never met them in any way, shape, or form. But that story just got around like wildfire, you know? Because because if you're that age, it's a curiosity. It's like the person did something that I've never done, you know? And this is a thing that can happen. It's almost like a moral tale. It's like a like an urban legend, but one that was real, you know? 
I remember the story going around like that when I was younger was, oh, so-and-so's cousin ate their girlfriend's ass. <laughs> and us, us in like high school, then, we're like, what? <laughs> like, what the yeah. fuck? And then like talking to that person, then, be like, your cousin's fucked up, man. What the fuck is wrong with you? And like, yeah, right. Did they get sick? <laughs> <laughs> and then like, the, you know, like how the story evolves and like any kind of good high school story gets changed. Uh-huh. So like, three generations of that story later it's like yeah and then he had to go to the doctor because he got like this parasite and they (laughs) had to admit how he got like they had to admit what he did and his parents are talking to him about not doing that anymore you know the story would get worse and worse every time you told it oh yeah i I remember did did your school have like the urban legend going around there there was the one girl that sucked off the whole football team and she had to go to the hospital and get her stomach pumped you know so like what the fuck man yeah, I told this story to some other podcasters at one point. When I, where I grew up in, I grew up in uh, the New York metro area in, in Connecticut. But it was like New, you know, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. I grew up in southwestern Connecticut, and everybody thought that there was this urban legend that John Bon Jovi had to get his stomach pumped because there and they found all this semen in it which is totally that's, like totally yeah. made up right and that's like on but par that's, with the richard gear gerbil story you know it's same thing but that's like our version of that story it was john bon jovi and by the way like just to like this obviously was an urban like there was no truth to this whatsoever but that's how the story got around that he had to do that but yeah there were all sorts of stories about people being horribly injured doing it was, they were almost like moral tales, our own local morality tales. Like don't, 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 don't try to have anal or you can get a peanut pulled out of you and then be called peanut for the rest of your life. (laughs) And isn't that, you know, thrust of urban legends is, it is is a way to scare kids into morality. Yeah. And it's funny because now here I am sitting here at 43 years old, wondering if the peanut story was ever true to begin with. Like I've never, I've just assumed my whole life that I'm like, I just took it as fact. You know, it was like somebody handled me, handed me a Bible when I went into high school and it was like on the first day they tried anal and there was a peanut, you know? And I'm just like, Oh my God, that kid, that's a thing that happened. You know, I just assumed it was, it was truth because somebody told me. So-and-so was fucking herself with a hot dog. It got stuck inside and she had to go to the emergency yeah. room. I remember that yeah, there was, story floating around when I was a kid. There was one of those in every school. The yeah, one, yeah. The, 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 the kid who unfortunately everybody believed had to go to the hospital to get the hot dog removed. We had, we had one of those. I'm pretty sure that didn't happen to her, but, um, oh, yeah, shocker, we had right? somebody. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that was all made up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was on the football team in high school, by the way, but I was not, I was also like drum major of the band. I was a really weird kid. Cause I, I was in all these different sort of circles, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, there were some, a lot of this, there were some things that went around that weren't true. And there were some things that went around that were true. You know, it was interesting. Like, uh, they used to have parties that got where things happened that I, you know, these are parties I wasn't invited to. I wish I was hearing the stories later, you know, a lot of fun stuff happened that I didn't get to participate in. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never really went to those parties. I, I would have been embarrassed. Dude. Like, you know, all I, these guys. I, yeah. I was going to say, I was never a drinker in high school. I never liked the taste of it. And then 
uh, like I was saying before, I always ended up being the one driving. And I was always yeah. very firmly in the, I don't ever want to get a D, an OWI. And so I just, I don't, I've never fucked with that. And so, you know, it's like, okay, beer tastes gross. And, you know, I hadn't discovered jello shots yet. <laughs> like the first time I ever actually got drunk, it was from jello shots. And it was like, oh, you just got to sneak the alcohol into me. That's how you do it. Yeah, I um, didn't, I didn't in high school either, but I, I smoked weed when I was 12. Oh, wow. That's a... You know, I have the dumbest story about what the movie Friday is what pushed me and my friends over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> and like people, it's funny because if you're like me, you hear like kids shouldn't watch these movies. And then and then it's like, well, I watched Friday and I smoked a bunch of weed. You know, uh, they made it look so fun. And like two of my friends, like their mom and dad had gotten them stoned like a few weeks before that. Yeah, I remember those them, were the coolest. Oh, um, I remember them telling us about it. And like we were at like a bonfire over at their house. And I remember saying to my buddy, I was like, hey, ask your mom and dad if they'll get all of us high. And so he went and asked me, came back out, and he said, they said no, and if you tell anybody that, they'll kill you. And I'm like, got it. <laughs> I'm like, never repeat this story until you're much older and you have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Decades-long adult marijuana ring busted by podcast story. I'll tell you what, we had some fun times at that place, though. I bet. Fun so they were just really place. cool parents or they were they, just, they were just, they just know, really open with, with that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, it, this was, this was back in, you know, the, 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 this would have been mid early to mid nineties. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we were, we were, we were all latchkey kids pretty much at that point. Like, yeah. like if we stayed overnight at their place, they live just like a couple miles outside of town. And if we stayed there, we would pretty much just wait for his parents to go to sleep. And then we'd just walk into town and we'd just be walking. Really? We'd just be walking around our small town at like one o'clock in the morning. Like we used to do that shit all the time. We'd just be like, all right, uh, pretty sure everybody's asleep. Uh, put some pillows under the blanket, make it look like you're here. And let's sneak out and go wander around town with your friends for two hours. And let's it's funny. I, I would go out like you, like you, I would go out and just not come home. I'd go spend like two days at my friend's house and my parents never, never had any concern whatsoever. They never checked on me. Nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could have been dead for days and they would have had no idea. <laughs> See, I always had to call and check in and at least let them know where I was. But yeah, I would do that where, you know, I, I'd end up, you know, spending days with friends and, um, Oh yeah, I had, a, I had a lot of fun times with those guys. But also, man, some some real knucklehead shit went on. I remember one time there was this one weirdo that was hanging out with us, and he had gone through their mom and this kid's mom and dad's like uh, dresser drawers, and he found uh -oh. a little, he found a little like twenty two like Derringer type pistol. You know, one of those oh, tiny little that's like, scary. pistols. And there yeah. was like um, there was a do, do you know what a borrow pit pond is? No. So uh, going through Iowa, you know, we've got all these, you know, four lane, you know, like interstate systems that go through with the, the grassy median in the middle. And it's those raised roadbeds. So, yeah, uh, my dad always called them borrow pits. You'll see these big ponds all alongside the, the interstate system going through Iowa where they had to dig up all this dirt to build the raised roadbeds. And, gotcha. and then it down, rains over time, right? Well, they dig down to about 30 feet and they'd hit the water table and then the whole thing would fill up with spring water. Gotcha. And so there was a pond like that that wasn't that far away from from this kid's house. And so we would go there all the time and go swimming because 
you know, I mean, it was, it was like our own private swimming hole. You had to like go for like a close to a mile hike through the woods and go through these tunnels that went underneath uh, I-380 <laughs> and then come out mm-hmm. on the other side and then do a little bit more trekking in the woods. And then you're at this just beautiful pond that was like 20 or 30 feet deep, spring fed. The way that the creek would go into the pond on one end and then it'd come out on the other to where if you just kept walking with the creek and, and walked down, it would just turn into this ultra steep sand slope that went... I mean, like, if you went all the way down to touch the bottom, it was probably about 10 feet deep there and just frigid ice cold at the bottom. Did it have fish in it? Oh, yeah. Big catfish, northern yeah. bass, all sorts of stuff. That's amazing how just like, and it's like from birds just flying and like dropping that half or, fish or in or the lake. Or it could be instances where some of them are stocked. Uh, this one in particular, oh, okay. though, it had a creek that ran through it. And so when the mm-hmm. river would get high enough... I remember the river getting high enough to where me and my dad took his his John boat and we went into the mouth of that creek and went all the way up to a bridge that was probably just like a half mile south of this pond or a half, a half yeah. like a half mile downstream to where we actually walked the whole distance one time where we walked all the way around this pond and then walked down the mouth of the other side of the creek and walked all the way down to where we saw that bridge because that bridge mm-hmm. was kind of like the main swim spot because it was the type of bridge that... Um, it's more or less just like five culverts in a row with cement all over it. And so yeah. when the water would get really high and it would go up over those things, it would then flow down the slope on the, on the, you know, the, the downstream side and it would push all that sand downstream and it would turn it into like an eight foot deep swimming hole. And then when, oh, the, wow. yeah. And then when the water went back down, it would fill back in with sand and only be about three feet deep or so. Mm-hmm. But if you went out there when it was flooded, it was fucking really great swimming. But then you'd have to also think like, okay, you're swimming in flood water. That's all runoff from all these agricultural fields around here. This can't be. Yeah, good. is it all like <laughs> brackish and stuff like? Uh, not bra- brackish is the wrong word. It's it got like poo in it. Right? It could, yeah, it very nitrates. <laughs> yeah, very yeah. well could. And yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's that's probably why I have a robust immune system. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> swimming in that shit, swimming in flood water as a kid. Um, but anyway, yeah, this knucklehead kid, we were out there and this was when things turned south and we had to stop going out to this pond. Um, turned out the pond was like on private property, of course. Mm-hmm. And the guy who owned it, had, he kept like a little flatbed or like a flat bottom John boat that was probably like 12 feet long or something like that. He'd keep it out there just kind of like tied to a tree upside down in the woods. Well, we found the boat and... We would take it out and like row it out to the middle and then like kind of get on the bow of the thing and jump off into the water and shit like that. And we were doing that. And this fucking dude all of a sudden reaches into his waistband, pulls out this pistol that was my buddy's mom's pistol. He's like, yeah, motherfucker. And he shoots the bottom of the boat and shoots two holes in it. And it's like a cartoon where spouts of water just start coming up. I was going to say, what the fuck yeah. is that? And so we all had to bail and swim to the fucking shore. And that boat sunk yeah. in the middle out there. And then the landowner eventually found out about it and raised hell. And it was, okay, we're not allowed to go out there anymore. Hey, thanks a lot for that, you dumb motherfucker. And I think he did ended you have, up Did you get a talking to you from the police? Did you get the... Uh... I did shit like this when I was your age. Did you get that discussion from the local the local police officer? Well, through through happenstance in life, um, I started dating this girl that Uh-oh. that she she looked at those guys that I was hanging out with and was like, "Those guys are trouble, and, oh. and, and you shouldn't be hanging out with them at all." And she was right about that. It wasn't that she was like 
possessive she just was right in this situation she she was right and, and it's not that they were yeah. bad guys or anything it's simply you know what i was saying earlier that you're a product of your past experiences we mm-hmm. were all kids in this small town we were all counterculture all of us that hung out we were we weren't the kids that were in with the jocks if we went and tried to play sports and stuff with them it would you know it wouldn't be a good time for us and if we tried to do it on some level, like going in with the school, it was a small enough school to where, it, you know, like you kind of have to have a certain name if you wanted to start anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's it's all politics too it, these it, days. Exactly. You know I mean? And yeah. And so, you know, we, that was just what we did, but we didn't have a good way to we didn't have any sort of outlet for all this energy. Um, you know, like we wanted to skateboard and stuff, but if we were skateboarding around uptown in our, in our small town, then all of a sudden we were gang members and, and we were getting right. harassed by people. And it's like, well, God, we can't do anything. And, right. you know, so eventually it led to us, you know, going and, and doing knucklehead shit and getting in trouble like stupid kids do. And, mm-hmm. and I just lucked out in the fact that, that I was dating this girl. And so rather than going and hanging out with my friends, I was spending more time and going and hanging out with my girlfriend, you know, like teenage kids are going to do, especially when sure. it's the first time you get into a relationship, you know, like that. And I remember those guys not too long after I'd kind of wasn't hanging out with them as much. They went and found some house that was out in the middle of nowhere and they were going and hanging out in there. And then eventually kind of, I think they like broke the door in and they were hanging out in there. And that eventually snowballed to them, just trashing the shit out of this house, breaking Get windows, out of here. kicking holes in the walls. And eventually they vandalized this house to the point where when the owners found out about it, they decided that it would cost them too much money to try and fix the whole thing. And so they just donated it to the local fire department to burn down as like a, an exercise. Wow. Um, but yeah, the, if I'm remembering the story correctly, one of them had brought a girlfriend along and she like adamantly refused to go inside. And then once news of this started happening and and questions were being asked, either she got asked questions about it and she caved or she just felt like a moral responsibility to go and, and turn them in. I don't remember exactly how that went down, but they all got in trouble and there was close to like a dozen of them. And I think they each had to pay like a thousand dollars in restitution and, and that's a painful, I mean, especially in the late nineties, that's a, it's a, it's a lot of money today. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But and for a kid in the late nineties, a thousand bucks is a, a, a colossal crap load of money, yeah. you know? Yeah. But, but I just know like the way I was is that had I been with them, I'd have probably been right in there in the thick of it. Like, Oh, let's see if I can go yeah. all the way through a wall, you know, <laughs> because it's like, there was no, we didn't have any really good way to, to channel that. And now when I go back and visit that small town I grew up in, there's so many amenities for the kids. Now there's an actual fucking skate park there. Now, you know, it ends up, they kind of figured out, I think it's with the closure of malls too, you know, like they, they you have to have something to take kids time. Yeah. It's, it, you know how I mentioned that I smoked weed when I was 12. I'm keeping my voice down just in case my kids are outside. <laughs> Cause I don't want them to hear it. I don't want them to hear that. I don't want them to do that. <laughs> I was but either 14 I, I, or 15. I had... So I wasn't too far away from you. So when I was 12, my brother was 18, right? I'm the youngest. My, my sister's 10 years older than me and my brother's six years older. One of the best days of my life was the day I fucking, I'm not even kidding you. 
I was not a talented kid, but I figured out how I figured out how to open the lock on my brother's chest. He had a chest with a lock on it. Nice. And I I figured out how to crack the lock by turning it and listening. I, I turned into like fucking MacGyver to get into this <laughs> lock. I was like a little a little chubby kid with virtually no talents whatsoever, and I broke into this chest. And I found two I found two things in that chest when I was twelve years old. One of those things was weed. The other was I found a, a pornography film called Asian Silk that I watched over <laughs> I watched I watched I watched over and over and over and over. And it was definitely anybody who's of a certain age knows this. Of course, this is a VHS tape. So you would watch it. And then after you watched it, you had to rewind the film to precisely the point at which you started watching it or else you yeah. could get caught. Right. <laughs> like kids today, kids today will never know that pressure because with that comes way more planning. Like if you're going to watch something like that, you have to account for the time that it's going to take whatever's ha going to happen to happen. And then the time that it's going to take to cover your tracks. Right. <laughs> but anyway. So, you know, I found I found the, the, the weed and, and, you know, ended up like it was kind of like skimming. I used to skim a little out of it and share it with my friends who would, somehow were able to score some themselves, too. Of those few kids that I hung out with, like one of them died a couple of years ago. He had some some mental problems, unfortunately. Oh, and another that. another one like I never I never really got past uh, we like when I was in when I was in college, I did mushrooms a couple times, you know, but never I never did anything much more than that. But the one of the other kids, unfortunately, as we progressed through high school, he got into harder and harder and harder stuff. And, you know, in the 90s, if you ran into heroin, you know, that was kind of so his life just went off the rails, unfortunately. Um so I do look back sometimes on that and I'm like, I'm just thankful it didn't, I didn't take quite as big of a turn, you know? Oh yeah. Cause I mean, it didn't work out too well for a couple of those guys. When I was in high school, that's when like the meth epidemic really started hitting like the Midwest. Yeah. And right. you know, that's when, you know, you're hearing reports about anhydrous tanks on farms getting broken into so people could steal it to make meth and, and oh yeah, limiting you know the amount of like amphetamines that you could buy and uh, man I I yeah because when I started out it was you know it was just weed and then I remember when I was a senior in high school some of my friends that I ran around with had tried acid and so then just listening yep. to them talk about it I was like well that sounds like a lot of fun and so I did yeah. I did that one night and so the first time I did acid it was like a gel tab and I did it when I was a senior in high school. And and had a lot of fun. I remember mostly just laughing a lot. Yeah. And you didn't have like spiders crawling up your arms or anything. No. Like my imagination way too bad to do that. I definitely would have like a scorpion in my butthole or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, and, and that's what I was worried that it was going to be like, because, you know, that's what after school specials and all that shit in the D.A.R.E. program led you to believe. <laughs> yeah, like but, reefer madness, and then right? Having eventually got to the point where I, I had a lot of fun and I, I was pretty much like a psychonaut for a long time where it was like, I, I, I tried, I tried all sorts of different types of acid. I tried the gel tabs, the blotter liquid, uh, tried mescaline, did uh, a shitload of psilocybin mushrooms. And it was eventually getting way too cocky with psilocybin mushrooms that led to my downfall where, where I ate way too many of them, went way too far down the rabbit hole and completely lost touch with what was real and what was just 
shit firing off synapses in my brain. Not to the point where I was seeing things that weren't there, but it, I was having a hard time entertaining what concepts in my head were real and what weren't. There, were, there was no element of self-harm or anything like that. It was just shit was really, really, really bizarre. And what's funny is that at the time, I didn't know enough about the substances of what I was doing. I was just doing them because it was a fun little party thing to do. And, and I really right. wasn't getting any of the the positive aspects that you can actually get from mushrooms. None of that happened until I had that bad trip and it scared me so profoundly that I remember thinking that, oh, my God, I'm going to OD. I'm I'm a fucking loser. I've I'm going to have to put my family through this. They're going to have to go on without me thinking, oh, my God, our 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 firstborn son was a fucking loser who died of a, a drug overdose. And I remember feeling so much shame that I was going to have, that I was putting my parents through this. Well, in really, in reality, it's like, you'd have to eat so many mushrooms to reach like a toxic dose. And had I just known that I, I, it makes me wonder, had I known that little nugget of truth, would I have not had that bad trip and been so scared? But in retrospect, like that bad trip was such a good thing. Like, like I said, you know, I was like obsessed with having a car with loud thumping music like lots of, I indulged in lots of look at me behavior where you could tell I was mm-hmm. just out looking for attention. Then after that, it was, I felt like it like dissolved my ego to the point where it just shined a spotlight on how shitty, how shitty and self-centered of a human being I was. And it made me rethink everything. And so I, and, and also I, I never touched anything after that. It was once that long, happened, I long- was like, I was like, I'm done. I'm not ever. Well, I kept smoking weed. I mean, I was still in college at the time, so I kept smoking sure. weed and stuff. But I was like, no. I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not touching another, you know, another psychedelic. I'm, I've gotten everything I need to get out of it, and I'm done. Um, but I had friends that went way too deep. I had friends that that really developed a liking for cocaine. I had one friend who mm-hmm. spent all of his graduation money in less than a week, and he blew it all on coke. It was like fifteen hundred dollars or something coke, like that. Coke can be a scary thing, because coke is one of those leisure drugs that if you don't know what you're doing, you can fucking die. Yeah, you know, like you could have a heart attack. You know what I mean? Like, like that. It. You know, I've been to plenty of parties where coke was being passed around. Not so much for whatever reason. When I was in high school, there wasn't a lot of coke, and. Some of the towns around where I grew up, like where I grew up wasn't a rich town, but there are towns right next to me that are that were very wealthy and you'd have a lot of coke go around at parties and stuff like that. But coke can be a little. Yeah, my friends that did it, man, when it was around, they got weird and like it was like I, I tried it and it was not something that I liked because it was like now, like as an adult, like I love caffeine. But it's like I reach yeah. there's, every once in a while I'll have, you know, every once in a while you brew a cup of coffee and you're like, whoa, what the fuck was up with that one? But like that has yeah. so much caffeine in it that now I'm like, I'm jittery. Um, oh, I've discovered that there's these one energy drinks. These like there it's like a triple, a monster triple shot coffee. Have you seen those in the store? Yeah. Yeah. I can't drink them at work. If I like I had this week at work where every day I was having like multiple panic attacks and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, you're drinking this new energy drink. And it was amping me up so far that it was giving me panic attacks at work. And so it's like, OK, yeah, yeah that's like I've, I've always been the one where it's like I have enough 
natural, you know, nervous energy the of, you know, go, go, go in me that I don't need something that's going to bring out more of that. That's not fun for me. And so it was really, and also it's like ugh, the, the taste it would leave in your mouth and all that. And also just the, the dare program worked on me where I would see that sort of stuff where like, oh, you're sniffing a powder up your nose or, 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 or you're watching people mix it with baking po- soda and like spread it on a foil. And, and now they're holding a lighter under the foil and sucking up all the smoke coming off it with like a pen, yeah. like a big pen that's been taken apart. Like that just looks like some real crackhead behavior. And then it got to the point where I showed up at one friend's apartment and I was like, what the fuck? It smells fucked up in here. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're smoking crack. And like they said it like, ha And I was like, are you guys serious? Get out of here. Were they really? They were seriously. They were all smoking crack and they were so stoked on it. And I just went. I'll see you guys later. Like when you guys yeah. get back to, to just being like the jovial potheads that I knew from high school, then, you know, we can, we can go back to hanging out, but you guys act weird when you're on these things that amp you up and, and I'm not down for that vibe. And, and so I kind of completely cut off con- connections with some of those. And then I had other friends that then got really hardcore into meth. And it was like, there was no coming back from that. Once those guys went into that, I only knew maybe one of them that that made it back out and has what you would describe now as like a successful life where it's like, it's actually a pretty incredible story that this dude got as far deep into that as he did and is as successful as he is now. It's like a night and day difference. And it's like, dude, I don't ever, not very many people are able to pull a turnaround like that. So fucking bravo to you. But there's some of those kids that I went to high school with that, they got into meth and then I didn't see him again for five or six years. And the next time I saw him, like half their teeth were gone and not like, not like a jack-o'-lantern half their teeth were gone, but like they would have like a tooth and like half of it would be rotted away. And so you'd be looking at like a tooth sticking out of their gums. That was like the shape of like a key or something. And you're like, that's oh, not yeah, right. For sure. How are you losing? You? Like it looks like somebody that... took a drill to your teeth. Exactly. It's the teeth going that makes shit get real with the meth heads. Oh, you know what so I mean? Gross. Or, or you'd be, oh God, I remember one night, this friend of mine, I got off work and I went and picked him up and <laughs> his, his grandpa had had a heart attack and he was of that generation of, you know, well, you know, pain, pain is life. You, you've given me these yeah. pain pills and I'm not going to take them. And so my buddy yeah, appropriated yeah. all of those pain pills. Uh Oh, and I was 21 at the time. He was 20 i think and so so these probably were legit opioids i would think oh, right because yeah. that's at the time when they were they, they were, were prescribing these things like, like we had no, yeah we had no idea at that time what kind of problem opioids were going to be exactly and this was before you know oxys were a thing or or if they were they were okay you know it wasn't something like that it, they were like you know codeines or, or tylenols something something yeah. you know fairly heavy I, they weren't they weren't percocets or anything like that but um but i remember he he had me buy him a 40 and then he wanted me to take him to to this town, Independence, which is I don't know, close to like a 45 minute drive or so away. And he's like, yeah, we're going to go hang out with this one dude that I know that I'd never met before. I know nothing about this guy. And so we get there and then right away, like this guy, like, do you remember what the bad guy in the abyss looked like? Kyle, you know, Kyle Reese, <laughs> Remember what he looked like yes. at the end of the yeah, abyss yeah, yeah. when he was totally yeah. whacked out on the bends. And, or, yep. or whatever that was. And you could see the whites all around of his eyes. And like, he just yep. kind of had this like craziness where it was like, it was like he was chewing gum, but he wasn't chewing gum. 
Like, that's what this guy reminded me of. And I remember walking in and right away, like having this like hair raising up on the back of my neck feeling of, oh, this place is creepy, Joe. You shouldn't be here. And then like this guy was the the sort where you'd be sitting there in the living room and just talking. And then I don't know where he'd just like jump up out of his chair and run over and like peek out the mini blinds and just like look around and then come back over and sit down. You'd be like, what was that all about? And I remember he left the room and I said something to my buddy about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's just the tweaker stuff. I'm like, you brought me yeah, to the fucking a, tweaker's house? He was a little, going through like a little paranoia yeah. problem, you think? And so I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, why the fuck did he... He's like, oh, he's cool. And I'm like, maybe to you. And I remember him... Well, at one point then, my buddy just disappeared. Like, he was just gone. And so now it's just me and this dude and like his, his girlfriend and then his like girlfriend's daughter and her friend who were, who, who were girls that I went to school with that were like a couple years younger than me. And so part of me was like, okay, there's three females in this house that are all sympathetic humans <laughs> and this one crazy right. guy. And eventually they were the ones who, who got me out of there because this guy wasn't mm-hmm. le- going to let me leave when I couldn't find Nick. I was yeah. like, look, I don't know where Nick's at, but I'm going to go. He's like, you can't go. I'm like, what do you mean? I can't go. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you can stay here. We, we got a place for you. And I'm like, I don't want to stay here. I have to, I have class early in the morning. I have to go. And then eventually. What do you think his answer for you? Was he, was he, uh, was he going to have a little butt fun with you or something like that? I, or fuck, I don't know what it was. This guy was so out of his <laughs> mind. At one point he went off on this tangent. He was deeply racist too. Like he was like oh, one of the sh- most racist, out, openly racist people I'd ever been around. He went on this tangent about how his great, great, great grandfather was Geronimo and Geronimo was uh, killed by uh, uh, in words that were uh, you, that were part of the U.S. military, and they cut him down with a Gatling gun that was mounted on a railroad car. Like he totally believed all this stuff, and I'm just like nodding along, like okay, okay. And then eventually, I'm like on a phone call, and I'm pacing around outside in the yard, talking with a friend about I need to get the fuck out of here, and I trip over something, and it's my buddy. I, he was outside. He was passed out from drinking that fucking 40 and that pain pill. And so I fucking roll him over and like kind of slap him awake a little bit. And I'm like, we have to leave. I'm like, this guy's genuinely fucking crazy. We have to leave, dude. And he's like, no, nah, I'm going to stay here. I'm fine. And I'm like, well, I have to fucking go. And this guy won't let me fucking leave. <laughs> and then eventually his, his girlfriend like distracted him. And then the other girls were like, you can go now. Go now. Go now. And I'm like, fucking, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Bye, dude. <laughs> Have you have you heard the and again like the whole it's probably an urban legend but who knows that the skull and bones at Yale have Geronimo's skull and it was stolen by Prescott Bush. Have you ever heard all this stuff? No. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. No, I mean I know what the, and the skull and bones that, is, but I've never heard that story. Yeah. So my wife works at Yale. Like where I, I live at I live near Yale. I, I Yale's in New Haven, which is very much like a people think of Connecticut as all trees and they're they're fucking cities in connecticut not all of them are very nice you know but my wife works at yale which is yale is basically new haven is yale and and a not so nice place for the most part right but uh we drive by the skull and bones all the time and as the legend goes george w bush's grandfather who was prescott bush who went to yale a lot of the bushes went to yale right as a prank one year they stole geronimo's skull and for many, many years, the legend was, and in some people think in some cases it is that Geronimo's skull is in the skull and bones, that it's still there. Um, 
uh, you know, and there are other versions of it where they, they may have returned it. But uh, it's interesting. It's this big cement building. It's technically kind of like a frat house, I guess, but there really aren't pretty, there really aren't windows on it. <laughs> it's like a gated door and it's just this big cement like edifice. Um, and apparently to get in it, it's basically like all these Illuminati families of, you know, that have sent their kids to Yale over the years. So it's a very, very secretive place. I've seen somebody actually go into it once, and I was staring to see if I could figure out who it was going in. <laughs> yeah, the place sounds like a bomb shelter. Well, it does kind of look like a bomb shelter. It, it's, it doesn't – it almost looks like – you know how banks looked in like the 1930s, these just big cement buildings that, yeah. you know – it kind of looks like a small version of that with like very small, very small windows, you know, but it's right there. It's right there. Like I said, it's kind of like, uh, almost like the Illuminati and, uh, very exclusive. Nobody knows exactly what they do. Wow. They probably, and you know, all the, as it connected to the Freemasons, of course, all of that shit has come up. Wow. When, when you would, um, so you went to college then, right? Yeah. So were you did you do like the whole frat thing and stuff when you did that? No, I didn't. I I I went out for a fraternity, believe it or not. When I well, when I was a freshman, I went out for a fraternity and I found a fraternity where they had a bunch of guys that were really into comic books. Oh nice. And I I barely didn't make the fraternity for I remember this clear they were like, Listen, you were like one vote away. So come out again next whatever. Like they'd rush like twice a year. But I very much am one of those people, like, when I'm rejected, I'm like, fuck you, you're dead to me, you know? No, I know that feeling. So, I, like, I, I totally was like, yeah, I'll come out next time and you suck a dick, you know? Yeah. You're dead to, like, <laughs> never remotely entered my mind to do it again. So I did some other – instead of the fraternity, I actually did all the concert planning. I was, like, on the concert committee, which was a blast. I did um, – I had Dave Chappelle when he was a young guy. I had Dave nice. Chappelle. I did uh, Blues Traveler. Naughty by Nature, Toni Morrison, the author of Beloved, Hank Aaron met a ton of like, it was it was a blast. That's what I did instead of a fraternity. I wasn't I wasn't like the fr- I didn't end up being kind of like the frat kind of guy, you know. Yeah, all frats yeah. are different, but the one the ones where I was, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have fit. <laughs> when I think of like frat behavior, I think of like the jock dudes I went to high school with that would like yeah, do, do I mean, all the weird dick touching stuff. Where it's like you guys are yeah, so there were fucking like, weird. I can't even wrap my minds around you guys. Yeah, the the frat that I went out for was like the stoner frat. You know, they were like, "Were you in a fraternity in college?" No, no. I, I yeah. The the I w- I went to a community college, but albeit I think it's like the biggest community college in the states. Yeah, as I think was their claim to fame. I don't know if that's still true or mm-hmm. not. But that that was a culture shock to me, though, going from that small high school to this you know, really giant community college. And oh, also sure. from the, the, the high school I went to, like my mom and grandma both worked there. So there was no skipping school. And in fact, my school oh, was so no. strict, like you couldn't even, like if, if you were old enough to drive, you couldn't even go out to your car in between classes or anything. That shit was not allowed. There was no open We weren't campus. allowed to there was either. No leaving for but... lunch. There was none of that. Yeah, we weren't allowed to either, but we did it anyway. You know, <laughs> we weren't supposed to leave the building. Yeah, and and so then you know going to going to Kirkwood, then in college that was 
God, I, I actually failed one class and got mostly D's in everything else my first semester because the level of freedom that I had, it was like I couldn't handle it. It was too much. Yeah. Where once I realized, like, I can skip a class and there's no repercussions other than, you know, hey, you're not going to be prepared for the test. <laughs> like, oh, God, that, that almost fucked me over bad. It's It's funny. I was... When I went to college, I kind of snapped out of all of the shit that I took for granted in high school. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was I was lucky. I uh, I sort of I like uh, I started to grow into myself a little bit very quickly in college. I was a lot less insecure in college than I was in high school. It, it I had a I had a high school relationship my senior year that when I grew up and became a little more mature and a little confident, I realized it was kind of toxic. You know what I mean? I had that exact same like, uh, experience. Yeah. Like at the time I, you know, I still, I was in this relationship and I, I didn't, I was like you, I didn't drink at all. I went through a phase where I did some drugs and then later on in high school, I didn't, I didn't drink at all, but my high school girlfriend did. So pretty much our whole social lives, I would drive around and she would get drunk and I drive her around, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like high yeah. school. <laughs> and, yeah. And it was, and it was, it was one of those things where like, so we, we went, we ended up going to college and uh, I went to college two weeks before she did. So when, when I went to college, you know, I remember talking to her, I'm like, listen, you know, if you want to try to make this work while well, when we go to school, like this, these are things only dumb high school kids think. I'm like, if you want to try to stay together, I'm willing to try. And if you don't, I respect that, you know, and secretly I'm like, please give it a shot. You know what I mean? I would, I would have been devastated. And she's like, no, I want to try to make this work. So my first two weeks of college, I'm that asshole who goes to college and tells everybody he has a girlfriend, you know, that dickhead, <laughs> Yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. That was me. I'm the guy who's like, hey, I'm happy to be here. And I have a girlfriend at home, you know, like that. I was that shithead. Right. So she goes to college two weeks later and she's like, so like her, her first weekend, she's like, I want you to come up and see me. So I'm like, I'm like stoked. It's like my three weeks into my college, one week into her, she's inviting me to come up and see her one week into college. I come up and see her and she's like, listen, I kind of started seeing somebody else. I'm like, you've been at school for, you've been at school for a week. What do you mean you've seen somebody else? Like yeah. you talk, you know, so obviously, you know, we ended up breaking up. She ended up marrying that guy too. So I feel kind of, I, I was like vindicated years later. You know what I mean? <laughs> she ended up marrying him. I'm like, well, I guess that was sort of meant to be. But as I looked back, um, once I sort of broke up with her very early in my first semester, I kind of became a little bit more myself. You know, it was, it was better for me to be out of that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. that first serious relationship I was in in high school was with that same girl who was like, no, don't hang out with those guys. <laughs> right. Like that was but it like, like in she, retrospect, it was, was smart though. Like, yeah, that was maybe the only positive thing. Like, but otherwise in retrospect, yeah. she was, you know, she was not very friendly. Like I, like, you know, like I said earlier, I was, I was, you know, the, the, the kind of the overweight kid that, you know, I mean, like I had a lot of friends and stuff, but I was also really good at, at, at you know, hiding the pain <laughs> type shit. You oh, know? I'm right there with you. And, I was that kid too. Yeah. yeah. And so like, you know, she would like, she, she never, she didn't do very many things that would like build up my self-confidence or anything. If anything, I was always constantly thinking like, okay, which, 
which better looking guy is going to come along and give her attention. She's immediately going to go and cheat on me because, you know, that's more or less the vibe that she's putting out. And yeah, so I remember when that relationship ended, I remember I was sad until I got distance from it. And then once I had distance from it and then I had friends be more honest with me on their thoughts of her and the relationship. And then I was able to see it more clearly. And then, you know, when she came back from college and then she was kind of trying to make some moves to like, like, oh, you're here and, and maybe I can get something going with you. And it's like by that time, I was like, no, no, there, there will be nothing going on with me. <laughs> like that, that, that is you know, not you know going to happen. It, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. So after our freshman year, like she's been with this dude at this point, who, by the way, by all accounts, is a perfectly good like I, I harbored at the time obviously now i harbor no ill will but at the time i was like all right you know i was devastated but i had no ill will to this dude i'm like fucking whatever you know yeah if i met some girl at school i like so many guys there didn't give a shit who had a boyfriend back home it was just kind of everyone was tired of hearing it you know yeah so um but we our first summer i remember you know we're all home and for the most part i didn't make any effort to i didn't want to like see her you know, I like we weren't in the same social circle anymore. I had my friends and she had her friends and we kind of hung out differently. But eventually, of course, you're going to run into each other. And I still remember the first time we hung out. She's like, you know, nothing happened. But at the end of the night, she's like, it's so good seeing you again. And I just want you to know, like, this is just a temporary thing. And, you know, at some point this is going to end. And you know that you've always been the one and stuff like oh. that. Like, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah, look, I, like I she's trying to keep you in her back pocket. Back pocket. Back. It's it's exactly. It's like I just had enough fun with you that I'd like you not to date anybody for when this relationship goes south. You know. So I remember saying that, like, to myself, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, good luck, have fun in school, and I'm like, just fuck you. You know, there's just no way. <laughs> yeah. There's no way. But, yeah, it's she, what really. The only thing that ever actually made me angry about it, to be honest, is when I was probably about 30. This is someone at this point, I pro- I think I saw her once when I was in my early 20s, but I hadn't seen her in like eight years, something nine years, maybe something like that. When Facebook came to be, she connected with me on Facebook and sent me a like a, a long apology for um, cheating on me. And I was almost upset. I was like, you know, I don't care that you did it. I'm kind of irritated that you've dealt with this guilt for nine years and are now just trying to be rid of the guilt, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, this makes you feel that... better admitting to something that's from a long time ago, but I was fine it's, not hearing yeah. any of this. Well, that was the fun. I was like, I haven't given this any thought for literally like 10 years. It's never even dawned in my head to upset me at all, you know, and here you are apologizing to me 13 years after it happened, you know. So and then I'm thinking, I'm like, who are all the people that I should be apologizing to for awful shit that I did? (laughs) That was the other thing that upset me. I'm like, should I be doing this? (laughs) (laughs) I've never. I've never apologized to anybody. <laughs> God, I, I know my whole life, I like, especially my adult life, I was always far too concerned with, you know, does everybody like me? Yeah. And I don't know. And I know that's from just dumb shit that happened when I was a kid. But it's kind of funny that, like, once I was able to kind of get a hold on that, and it goes to, oh, that's why, that's why... 
you act the way you act in all these different situations. It's like you're still motivated by that thing, that tragic thing. They're not tragic, but, you know, that traumatizing thing that happened to you when you were a kid. You're still motivated by that and you're still you're still operating off echoes of that. And I don't know. It's always great when it's so hard to go against your programming, but it always feels so liberating when you push yourself and you do it. And then everything's fine. The world didn't fall down. And it's like, oh, no, that wow. was your that was your your Uncle Ben moment, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's uh, why you are what you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, like it even comes down to like it's like if like in, in like a work email or something like that, if I have to deliver bad news, it's like I'll, I'll suddenly start sweating and stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, I, uh, I, I can't be the bearer of bad news. What if they don't like me? And then it's like, dude you're not that fucking third grader anymore. And that's, you know, everybody's saying, listing something they don't like about you. That's, that's not you anymore. <laughs> like it's okay. It's, it's funny. Ugh. I'm like, I, it's a little different. I generally like almost all people. I'm a very, like my wife always says, like, she'll be like, Oh, this person's a total asshole. And I'd be like, well, you know, you never know what happened in their childhood. Like I go to places where I, I try really hard to empathize with people, even people that come across as total assholes. You know, I try to I try to figure out why they're assholes and have compassion, you know, to a fault. I do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can I do relate to that. Yeah. And um, I generally like when other people are happy and I like harmony, like I'm a big fan of people being being happy. And I found that as I got older, when I did have to say things that were hard or deliver bad news, the most merciful way to do that was to be really direct and really blunt, but with like some compassion, you know, which, which makes it even more difficult. Like I, so my grandmother passed away now eight years ago. Right. And, uh, when she was 93 years old, she had a great run. She had a great life, but when when she was towards the end, it was very important to me and to a lot of us that she not be alone. You know, you like you're going to be in the hospital and stuff. And at that point, she you know, they were just trying to keep her comfortable. And I just didn't want her to be by herself. Uh-huh. So it like it was it was really important to me, to my dad, to my to my sister, my brother, not as much. And I'm not judging him. He's just not wired in quite the way that I am for us to be there when she passed. There was a period of like two hours when everybody left the hospital, but me. And during that two hours, she passed away, you know, and I, I still remember having to call my dad and I, I just said, dad, I'm really sorry. She just passed. You know, I just had to boom, like sort of hit him with that information because it was just the most merciful way to tell him what had happened. And I get, maybe it's not the best example because obviously it didn't come from left field, you know, but, um, I don't know. I just, it's almost like compassionate just to, just to hit somebody with it in the most compassionate way that you possibly can, the most sensitive way you possibly can, but quick, you know? Yeah. The tear off the bandaid, tear off the bandaid. Yeah. And at work too, I'm the same way. I'll just tell people, directly but with compassion and hope that i'm not coming across as an asshole yeah yeah i've never understood the 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 people who try and get things done at work by being assholes to people 
Because it's like, you know, yeah. on the one side, you're going to you catch a lot more flies with honey than vinegar. And then on the other side of that, tomorrow, when you still have to work with this person, they're going to remember that you're a giant prick or that you have the capacity to be a giant prick. And now you either have, you know, subordinates that are walking on eggshells around you or they're they're just working with this resentment towards you. And it's it's just. I almost feel like people in management positions or supervisor positions, they should have like a three strikes rule where it's like, if you've lost your cool on like a subordinate, like it's third strike and you you can't do this anymore. We can't have you in charge of people. Yeah. It's most, it, it almost seems like there are people who are really ambitious and they're wired to be really ambitious and struggle with balancing that with caring for other people, you know, yeah. and, and they tend to just steamroll people and it's all about results and not so much about other people's subject, you know, what's, what's important to other people. It's almost like results at all costs. And those are the ones that worry me a little bit. Yeah. You th- know, those are those sociopaths that you don't want in charge. It's you, like, yeah, you, you might, yeah, it, it might be great for, for shareholders or something like that. But at the end of the day, if your company's made up of people, and it's a general known fact in, in HR that you lose more good employees to shitty managers than, you know, the other way around. So, yeah, I always like uh, there are people who. If you ever have to leave, lay people off or let people go, if it's ever easy, there's something wrong with you. You know, yeah. it should never be easy. Like, are there people who deserve to lose their job? Sure. It's sad. But sure, there are. There are people that shouldn't be shouldn't keep their job because oh, yeah. they didn't hold up their end. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Sometimes it's wrong to them to keep them in a job. You you're almost doing them a favor by helping them to make a change in their life that they might not be brave enough to make in that moment. But if it if it's ever easy, there's something wrong with you. If if you can't appreciate the devastation that that person's going through in that moment, the upheaval in their life there's something terribly wrong with you. And I, 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 in fairness, I have seen people that have to make those really hard decisions involving a lot of people and they do understand the gravity of it. You know, they under, and I, and, and I, I respect that. I mean, I, li- I wish we lived in a world in which those things never have to happen, but they do. And if they have to happen, I'm, I just, if somebody, is doing it who understands the gravity of the decision they're making. I appreciate that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. <sighs> it's, it's, it's funny. You just, um, I, well, I have to be careful how I articulate this. I had to do that once. I'll just put it this way. I've had to do it a couple times, but there's one time in particular I had to do it. And the person had a hobby and they ended up making that hobby their career. So like it, it they achieved their dream. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it felt, it felt awful to have to do it, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And it's a rare case in which you actually see somebody fulfill their life's destiny because, because you help them make a change. You know, you, you would never think it's about that, but sometimes it is. Yeah, and that's about as good as that can turn out, right? <laughs> that's the best way that it can turn. Yeah, that's the best possible way that that can turn out. 
because those people, the people that are like truly doing something they love. And this is the thing that I reinforce to my kids all the time. When I talk to them about their future, I always tell them like, if you can figure out some sort of way to monetize doing what you love, then you're going to have a lot happier time in, 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 you're going to have a lot more satisfaction in your career than the majority of Americans, maybe the majority of people in the world. Cause I feel like it's a, it's a select lucky few that are, that are able to do that. And yeah. Oh man. Because I, I wanted to work in comic books so bad. Sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't <laughs> no, mean to no, cut go you ahead. off. Go ahead. No, it's, yeah. it's totally cool. I yeah, wanted to write comic comic books would be amazing. Like, that was like my dream, you know, when I was a kid, so much so that I tried to teach myself how to draw because in the in the image comics days, I was like, well, if I want to be a writer, I'm going to have to learn how to draw. Like there there aren't many guys who are just writers. Like even Frank Miller was an artist. Yeah. And you're like, John Burns, an artist. And how many guys are just right? And sure, there were plenty of guys that were just writers like Stan Lee was a writer. Stan Lee wasn't. An artist. But, you know, so I really wanted to be a comic book writer and. To, to my like i'm not i'm not judging my parents but they were totally like you're fucking nuts like go get a real like learn to have a real job this, <laughs> you're never gonna have there's nothing's ever they were totally blunt with me they're like nothing's ever gonna come of that at any rate i still remember meeting denny o'neill the great the great denny o'neill nice. right at a comic book signing and first of all let me say i'm not crit- he was may he rest in peace super nice guy beautiful man but I, I remember asking him, I was like, Mr. O'Neill, you know, it's my life's dream to become a comic book writer. Are there any internships? And in, in the nicest way possible, he said, young man, we do have internships. They're almost impossible to get unless you're like related to somebody at the company. People who are in these internships typically do grunt work for us and then we let them go. There's been one person who's ever actually made a career in writing being an intern and it was because of this 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 and this situation which i doubt you're in like he basically (laughs) was like yeah that's not gonna happen you know and he did in fairness give me some tips he was like you know read read a lot of comics and he goes and definitely like get a job don't don't try to make your career writing comics just write on the side and see if anything ever comes of it you know yeah (laughs) but i'll 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 never forget that and in college, I met I met Toni Morrison. You know, she was the the, the author of Beloved, Nobel Prize winner, right? Uh-huh. So I'll never forget it. It was there was after after her speech, there was like a reception, right? And and she was um, she was sitting down eating eating hors d'oeuvres, and she had a line of people. And because I helped to organize the event, I uh, was able to meet her. So I I went up to her and I was like, Dr. Morrison, I'm I'm a big fan of your work what advice do you have for aspiring writers? And she said, read a lot, write a lot, get a job and see, see these little bagel thingies. Get me a plate full of those. (laughs) (laughs) Except for the bagel thing. That is the exact same advice I've, I've read from lots of different sources when it, when it comes to writing is, you know, read a lot, write a lot, don't quit your day job. <laughs> yeah, get it. And it, well, and and I think part of it is you're going to be a lot more successful writing without the pressures of making it your like without if I don't if I don't if if this isn't great I'm not going to eat. Yes. You know, I think there's a different in to all, all respects to J.K. Rowling who probably did live through that. You know, um, 
I think it's easier for a lot of people to find their talent without that kind of pressure. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's, I don't know. Like, like if you, if you go and look up, you know, my profile on Facebook under employment, it'll say creative mm-hmm. writer, but that yep. is not where I get my money. I I've made about sure. enough in royalties. I remember one time I made enough in royalties. There was enough in that account to where I made a car payment out of it. And I was like, That's holy awesome. shit. And it's the one and only time I was able to do it. Sure. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it's just like, it's pocket change in that account. <laughs> yeah. But, but man, if, if I don't know. And that's that's the thing is to to actually write or create something that makes a big enough, you know, like cultural splash that that enough people jump onto it. And, you know, writing is one of those things to where if you do have just one project that takes off, it can change your life. And but it's one of those things. That's where it's keep writing. You got to always be writing. And yeah, it's funny, too, because there were a couple of people that I went to school with that I knew who made it who, who were fairly successful like um so years ago brian from pop, pop culture left we were talking about this so this guy named ryan condal who wrote rampage among other things he's he was uh he was a showrunner for the, for the show colony um i went to college with ryan condal i and i knew ryan condal we weren't close friends but we knew each other it would have never remotely dawned on me that he would have been successful <laughs> in the way in the way that he is not in a not in a critical way, and not not at all. That with a guy who was a brilliant guy, it just never dawned on me that that like he would be the one to make it, you know in in the in that way. I don't even know if that was his interest when we were in college. I don't think that's even. I think he was like a business major or something like that, you know. So it's really hard to sort of figure out what makes it work for somebody and not others. And is it is it talent and timing and right place, right time, right idea at the right time? Who knows? You yeah, know, it seems to be a little bit of all of that. And also like, if you have something, you know, if you have something that's, that's good, the next step is how do you get it in front of a bunch of eyes? Yeah. And, and, and I'm how do you get it in front the... of a bunch of eyes and then have those people tell somebody else about it in these days? It's like, can, can something go viral? <laughs> Well, that's it's a lot more accessible. I mean, I'm 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 convinced though that the greatest novel ever written is sitting in a drawer somewhere. Like no no one's ever read the thing. Because if you think about if you think about all the art everyone's ever created and what tiny fraction of it is ever made public is, is ever shared, even today with what we have, the odds are that the greatest piece of human achievement was never seen. It's it's a it's a stack of papers in somebody's drawer somewhere that they didn't have the courage to get published. That's probably the greatest novel ever written, and we'll we'll never find it. We'll never see it. Yeah, that and it's and it's sad, unfortunately. But no, I that's, mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, that is that is a and also in that scenario, it's like a Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> you know, it's like there's yeah, really no totally. way to there's no way to prove it. Um, no way to prove it at all. But here's the wild part to me is that you don't even have to be a particularly gifted writer to have something make a big splash and you can make it big. Like I can think of three different writers off the top of my head that have probably made a lot of money off writing and I've read their stuff and it's fucking dog shit. It is not good. Like, it, yeah. it, like it, in terms of it, it just, I don't know. It's just not good. And, and those people probably made like, like I'm like, everybody knows that about the, the 50 shades of gray writer. 
Correct. Because it's like yeah. you read some of the stuff in that book and it's like, oh, how did this ever make it past like an actual editor? Right. <laughs> that an actual editor who has degrees in English and does this for a job read this manuscript and didn't return it full of red marks. <laughs> like, right. Like, oh, my, like redundant sentences, just uh, shit that just doesn't. They're like, ah, like, oh, the audience the doesn't care about this. No, Whatever. It's good. Because it's just, yeah. it's the idea. Are you portraying the idea? Because unless you are an editor, or some snooty English major or something like that, all those other little parts of the book, the majority of the people who are going to read that book, they don't care about any of that stuff. They want like a right. story, something that's going to tickle their imagination and make them want more of it. Fifty Shades of Grey did that. Gave them fucking kinky sex. It gave housewives a good reason to sit and read about kinky sex or, or the yeah. Twilight series. Not particularly well-written stuff, but it sure resonated with a young adult crowd enough to where they turned them into these giant movies. And or then there's the flip side of that where you get stuff like Harry Potter, which it blew up and then you read the source material and you're like, this is fucking brilliant. And, you know, I mean, say what you want about the 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 other things of, of JK with with her opinions on certain things that I'm not going to get into. But you, you can't take away the fact that she's a fucking brilliant writer. Not only did she come up with a story that captured the world's imagination, it's also brilliantly written. Like in terms yeah, of plot, it's... in terms of wrapping up all the loose ends, in terms of just the way she sentences, she structures sentences and paragraphs, and the character development she was able to put in, it's all fucking incredible. Yeah, it's funny. I'm gonna say something that, in some circles, is very controversial. Well, oh, in some circles, I, I struggle very much with the Lord of the Rings books. Um, and here's the thing. Tolkien had a tremendous gift for language. I mean, yes. his his real passion was language, right? And yes, he was a linguist. So much of there, – there are so many examples of absolutely beautiful use of words in, in, his, in his work. When I was a little kid, I saw the Ralph Bakshi animated film. I had like a, a children's book version of Lord of the Rings. My dad was really into Lord of the Rings, so he would kind of like read the books to me, but not read them. He would flip through and tell me the good parts, like yeah. kind of like the Princess Bride, you know, same thing. So I had never read Lord of the Rings fully. And then when the movies came out, it, but I felt like the story was very close to me, you know, because growing up, like my dad read it to me all the time, like all the time he would read me Lord of the Rings. Um Hey, now I saw, then I saw the movies and obviously I love the movies. And as soon as the movies came out, I'm like, let me rekindle this and get the books. And there are these sections where it's like seven pages just describing the rolling hills of grass that are really <laughs> with modern eyes, especially with, with me, like having problems with my attention span. It can be a, a tremendous struggle at times to get through again with my, and I'm not disrespecting Tolkien's work. I'm just saying that it can be a tough read to digest if you're not looking at it with the right perspective in 2021, you know, those battles are like a page and a half and you'll get six pages on, um, the, the, the quality of the landscaping in the Shire, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not what you expect. Right. The, at times the Lord of the Rings and, and like, I've, I've read it. It's been many years now since I've gone through and reread them. But for a while there, I was 
rereading the entire trilogy like every year, every couple of years, I'd pick them yeah. back up and read them again. And it, it did get to the point where it was like, God damn, so much of this is just a fucking slog. Like these. Yeah. The, and, and then what's funny is then when you go through and read The Hobbit, The Hobbit is like, it's so fast paced. And there's so the much Hobbit shit is, that happens in a paperback novel that's only like three quarters of an inch thick. The it's, Hobbit, you can read in an afternoon. Yeah. And. E- easily and it it goes it's almost like that if you've just read the lord of the rings obviously i know you should read the hobbit first but if you've just read lord of the rings the hobbit is like that lime sorbet that just washes the day you know <laughs> you're not wrong <laughs> not that lord of the rings is a bit i'm not saying lord of the rings is a bad read i'm just not, saying no, it's not work. at all it's it, just that it's, it's it's work yeah and, and it's and it's from there's there's different types there's different there's different types of writers that you're going to get out there. If you get a writer that, you know, is a linguist or like a fucking professor in English or something like that, he's going to write a very different type of novel than somebody say, you know, like me, I don't, I don't, I I didn't go to school for English at all, but I've always been a pretty good writer and I'm creative. I'm going to write a very different type of novel. It's like, I could go on and wax poetic about grass for a lot, but that's not really why I'm writing the story. I'm writing it because there's a, a story I want to tell. And I'm hoping that I'm going to tell it and it's not going to be as poorly written as something like Twilight. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But it's like, I don't set out to write these things thinking that, oh, this is going to be Tolkien-esque. It's like, no, it's not. You don't, you don't have the pedicure to write something that's Tolkien-esque. And also... Like you'd be boring. You'd be bored to tears fucking trying to write that, Joe. A, a, I don't a lot of that shit would disappear that. in the editing process because you'd be like, this is all extra shit that you don't really need. I think Tolkien got lo- lost in creating a world because of the trauma of World War One. Agreed. And it, it was just his escape from what was obviously this horrific experience in his life. And it just happened. I mean, again, the guy was an enormously gifted writer and linguist, and it just happened to capture probably the greatest feat of fictional world building we've ever seen, Uh, you know, with respect, with, with respect to George Lucas, who's probably second. Right. But what he did was obviously genre creating. So, but it, it, it had to have come out of this horrific, horrific trauma that he lived through. And you can just see in the pages, obviously when he's talking about Isengard, it's clear that he's in the trenches of world war one, just, getting giving himself therapy for what life was like in trench warfare it's it it takes something like that to make something i don't know that tolkien ever set out to sell a shitload of novels maybe he did it just doesn't feel like it it feels like he was escaping yes that's yeah absolutely is that he's in those trenches in world war one he's in a really terrible place what better way than to escape into this journal that you're keeping in your pocket and you're making right. these notes and writing this out. And I love that, like, he actually wrote a viable, wrote and created a viable elven language. That's like, yep. f- like, it's phonetically correct and all this stuff because he was a ling- he was a linguist. And, you know, in fiction books like that, when you do get an author that's in the know about this stuff, like if you read science fiction books that's written by somebody that actually has a background in science, those are fucking riveting books. Like, because the sort of stuff like their imagination is going to just work on a different level because they know so much of what the the real applications of it are like that it just gives you such a better springboard to like jump into what the imagination can be beyond that. 
And like right now I'm reading this book uh, called Blindsight. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, fuck, I don't have it back here with me. So, of course, I can't think of the 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 author right now off the top of my head. But it's this uh, it's this deep sci fi book that takes place way in the future with space travel and there's like all these different to like the the main character in it like half of his brain was taken out when he was a kid to like correct some genetic deformity and then it's like they put like technology in his head as he got older and so now he's like can like when he connects with a computer system it's almost like he's feeling it like it's an extension of his body And so like Hmm. when this character is like, you know, it's written in his point of view and when he's describing things like 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 the the data stream coming in from other space probes that are way up ahead, the way he's describing it, he's describing it in the first person like he is the space probe. And like describing like different things like in the spaceship, the way that somebody would describe feelings in their body and stuff like that. It's just it's. It's so great. And then the one of the coolest parts about it is there's the the captain of their ship is a vampire. And it's a take on vampires that I'd never heard before in which the vampires were a natural predator to the human species and had been since the dawn of time. But then eventually and they were like way taller than us to the point where they were like around like eight, nine feet tall and their brains were way more advanced for like problem solving and just the way that they viewed the world that they can like simultaneously entertain multiple like points of view at once. And so it just makes them like so much better at like problem solving and, and thinking around corners and basically they can just think circles around humans. Well, there was some weird thing in their brains to where, you know, there's never, you know how it's really rare to see straight lines in nature and it's even more yeah. rare to see an intersection of, you know, right angles in nature. Yeah. Well, in this vampires have some sort of thing to where if they see intersecting right angles, it cause it sends them into grand mal seizures or seizures and they die. Get out of here. Yeah. And so no basically kidding. when and that's humans, why, that's why a cross works exactly. because it's a right angle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's why the, the, the myth of the crucifix bore out is that, but then eventually because humans started living in cities and all this and vampires just died out. And so then it's far enough in the future now that there's like paleo geneticists that were able to basically Jurassic park, this vampire back to life or, you know, vampires, back to life and then they they put them on these drugs so that it's like non-euclidean drugs or something like that so that the 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 crucifix thing doesn't make them go into seizures and yeah and yeah they've got this vampire that's piloting their ship because he's the only one that you know like has the mental capacity to do all these calculations and shit and uh, it's fucking incredible the way they describe the vampire that is like all his teeth have been filed down and most of the time he wears a visor to cover his eyes because they, they describe his eyes kind of like looking like what uh, Vin Diesel's eyes looked like in pitch black, how they were like shiny. Almost exactly. Yeah. 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 And so he wears a visor over his eyes most of the time because it makes humans uncomfortable. And it just describes that, you know, even though, you know, humanity hasn't been around vampires in like, you know, tens of thousands of years, like your DNA immediately knows what it's looking at when you see a vampire. And like this character in this book describes this feeling of terror that when he looks at the captain of the ship, he's just like, 
fuck i can't <laughs> you know but it's like we need this yeah. guy and we have to trust this guy but every instinct is my body is saying get the fuck away from that guy he's gonna kill you for fun sure it's like i'm only about 100 pages into it so far it's called blind sight I'll, I'll post a link for it or something online I, I feel awful that i can't think of the author's name off the top of my head but no, anything, it's not, that's I a running theme in this episode that I can't think of names. <laughs> well, that, obviously, you and I definitely got baked before this episode started. <laughs> I, I didn't, but I, my mind is like I did. By the way, I thought you'd find this funny. So my dad's a pretty straight-laced guy, right? He's, you know, kind of like by the book. My dad's kind of a conservative guy. You know, grew up Catholic, all that shit. So my brother borrows my dad's car this is like 20 years ago uh-huh and after my brother borrows my dad's car he calls me up and he goes you're a fucking idiot and i go what are you talking about and he goes you left a huge freaking roach in dad's car right right in the, <laughs> right on the driver's side like i found your roach you idiot and i'm like i had never driven dad's car before and we're like what the fuck <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> And we still, it's funny, one of these days as my dad gets older, I'm going to be like, I found your roach in the car in fucking 1998, you know, <laughs> just see what he says about it. Because it's totally out of his character, you that know. so funny. Oh, I looked this up real quick. Yeah. Blind Sight is written by Peter Watts. Oh, okay. Yeah, Blind Sight, all one word. Blind Blind Sight. Yeah. Not the blind side. That's about a college yeah, football player. Yeah, not, not the Sandra Bullock shit. <laughs> 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 oh, shit, dude. Hey, we, we're over three hours in. Oh, it's been a blast, though. Time, it, it flies by. <laughs> dude, I've had so much fun talking to you. Um, yeah, likewise. Oh, man, it, it went by so fast. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back together uh, and being able to have conversations like this at C2E2 over a few beers someday as well. Agreed. Not that I don't, I love podcasting with you. Don't get me wrong. I just think it'd be, hopefully someday we'll be able to do that again. <laughs> I totally agree, dude. Uh, I was kind of laughing. I had a secondary thought of, Hey, we've been talking for three hours as you're in it. That's been really good this whole time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I like, you know, I experiment with different ways just to make it less shitty. And I find I actually have the most success. Like I try to get my computer set up and hardwire into my computer and, and it never goes well. So I just decided tonight to use my cell phone because it seems like my, for whatever reason, my cell phone, I have the best results. Who knows why? Nice. I just do. Yeah. So that's what I did tonight. And I'm glad, hopefully I did. It sounds like I didn't break up too much. No, no, it's, it's, it's been really good. <laughs> that's good. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants to find you, uh, where can they find more Greg? So I have a YouTube channel that's really dumb called Amazing Home Projects with Handy Greg. I do home improvements, and I don't really actually research what I'm doing. I just kind of try to do shit as I think I'm doing it. So it's kind of like a parody of home improvement stuff because I'm a total idiot. It's (laughs) really – Dude, they're delightful, and you are so funny in them, and – uh, the the type of deadpan humor you bring to it is it's really fun and it's one of my kids' favorite YouTube channels. Uh, when when I told them that I was doing a podcast with Andy Gregg tonight, they were like, "What?" <laughs> you know what's funny? Like all my kids' friends watch it. So one day I'm I'm bringing my I'm bringing my younger son to school. He's nine years old, right? Uh-huh. And I'm I'm bringing him to, to elementary school, 
And I've got a fucking puppy in my passenger seat. We have this puppy, Chihuahua. She's the cutest dog, like Chihuahua puppy, right? So I bring him to school, and I pull up into the lot, and I got the puppy in my passenger seat. And this little kid starts running up to my car. So I think, obviously, he's running up to the car because there's a puppy in my in the car, right? So I lower the window a little bit so that he can pet the puppy, and the kid stops short of my car, and he goes, Handy Greg! And then he turns around and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> I have tons of young fans, which is totally not what I anticipated. But kids, kids love my shit. I don't know why. Uh, probably because it's like really dumb humor and kids like that. So <laughs> that's too funny, dude. <laughs> <You> yeah. Fans. <laughs> I, and I got fans and the, the average age of my fans is like probably 10 and a half, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Well, dude, I've had an absolute blast talking with you. Thank you so much for taking time out uh, to to come on and chat with me for so long. Likewise, it's been a blast. <laughs> What's funny is before we started recording, we like talked about a couple of things. Like, oh, we talk about this and talk about this. And we talked about none of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the way this always goes. And that's, it's, that's, I, that's what I kind of like about doing the show is that it's like, and it also makes the show notes impossible to make because it's like, I, yeah, I, I, I we talked about so much stuff that <laughs> like trying if, to write it. If I screwed notes up your no show sense. notes, I'm really Did I screw up your show notes? No, not at all. <laughs> oh, okay. No, if, if I did that, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Well, and that's the thing with Starkcast is I never come really prepared with notes of any kind. Yeah. Because I don't Yeah, it's. Do you know, do you know what I, you'll, you might get a kick out of this. Cause before, when we were talking about me coming on, I remember you saying like, Hey, think about what you want to talk about. And I was like, I I've listened to your podcast before, obviously. So I'm like, I'm just going to let Joe, like the conversation evolve naturally. Like that was my, <laughs> that was what I was thinking. But I did say to myself, I'm going to talk to Joe about that Bob Ross documentary. <laughs> like it's oh. the one thing I wrote down <laughs> and it just never came up organically, you know? Yeah, but that was like, oh, maybe we'll talk about Bob. Ross. I was on vacation last week in in Maine, and we had just we just had Pluto TV, and I just watched the shit out of Bob Ross. Oh, nice! I don't know, I, I could not stop watching it. I just watched Bob Ross like crazy. <laughs> oh man, yeah, there was. God, what was it there? I mean, there's like some episodes that I'd do in the past, especially ones that would like, you know, cover like a movie or a comic book or something like that, where we'd be pretty good at staying on track. But yeah, for the most part, I, I just kind of let this show just kind of wander and meander wherever it's going to go. And because it's fun, because we can be talking about serious politics one minute and then talk about dick jokes the next. And it, well, it's, it's it works because I'm happens. a very hard as you can tell, I'm a very hard person to stay on track with because the way my brain is wired, you know? <laughs> Same here, dude. It's like if I see something shiny, I'm like, oh, let's go chase that, especially if it's in conversation. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, yeah, that's a ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on, dude. We're totally going to have to do this again sometime. Uh, would love to. Would love to. And thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been Starkcast. <laughs>